Welcome to Awards Radar, the podcast, a weekly discussion of the awards races, Hollywood news, and the films you should have on your radar. Here's your host, Joey Magidson. Hey, everyone, we're back. Well, most of us are back, but we're live. Um, thank you, everyone, who gave us a week off last week. It was uh, it was needed, so much so that Steve is taking another week off. Well-deserved. But Miles and I are here in, in the flesh, baby. I, I just turned us into Thunderlips. Oh, okay. Well, that's a fun start. I mean, listen. Did you uh, on on the bingo card of things we we're going to reference? Would it would Rocky Three be uh, up there for you? Um, it wouldn't be at the top, but it wouldn't be at the bottom either. That's true. We we have brought up pro wrestling enough, and I mean, let's be real. There'll probably be a video game reference before we're done. So this is all this is all on on par for what we do. It's um, parcel exactly. People want want this by now, or they wouldn't be listening. And I assume they're listening. Uh, but yes, Miles is here. Yeah, hi, I'm here. There we go. Uh, how was your Thanksgiving? It was good. I ate too much food, and then I made Same. the mistake of spending the weekend doing additional meals and having even more food. So I've just got a fridge full of leftovers for the next three weeks. Nice. I uh, I didn't need to do the midnight snack, but I did the midnight snack, and probably shouldn't have done the midnight snack. But, you know, it's the day for that. Well, we talked about so. it. We talked about it last week. Well, last year, I think. But what's what's the food? What's the food item for you? That's the, the showcase. It's really never the turkey for anyone, is it? No, although I will say the turkey was better than average this year. Um, let me think. I mean, it's it's almost more of a side, but like I can't do a year without crescent rolls. That's my big sure. thing. Uh, crescent rolls. Kelly does a really good green bean casserole. Same. Um, I like me st- some stuffing, some red cabbage. Uh, I don't know. I'd like a variety of things. Oh, yeah. No, I think the uh, green bean casserole is a, is a real big one for me, though. I, I make it just on occasion. So it's kind of become just a, you know, I kind of want that as a side and it's it's there because it is reasonably easy. And the four ingredients it takes are usually in my house already. But um, stuffing and gravy are usually the things. Not yeah. that you can't do not that you can't do stuffing if you want, but I feel like when it's not November, if I've had stuffing, it's been stoved up, which is not the same thing. Right. And you know, there there's a difference between store bought gravy and like the drippings of a turkey gravy. That's it's worth the effort. Like making a turkey is worth it to make the gravy to me. That's my that's my big thing. But now I'm hungry, so that was probably not the best thing to do. Um <laughs> uh, but since we record after dinner, but you know, it's all good. Um, so we, uh, I've seen a couple of things, at least one thing of note since we recorded last, uh, miles has caught up on a lot. Um, if this was the, like Mark Johnson's of the world, we'd be like, you're finally here, but no, you, I feel like this is like your current theater going experiences have been quicker to catch up than in Florida. Even I, por- uh, I worded that poorly, I mean- but you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a case-by-case basis. Like, some of the stuff that you think of as being indie stuff goes to my mainstream theaters pretty regularly, and it's usually only, like, the stuff that's a bit more off the beaten path, like your decisions to leave, that I've got to kind of hunt for. Yeah, well, I mean, as long as there's... I I mean, this is far more anecdotal than than factual, but I feel like in non-giant metropolises, so you remove the New Yorks, the LAs, the Chicagos... I guess like Austin kind of counts for this conversation. And there has to be a film community of some sort to warrant that. I I don't know that like 
Omaha necessarily is going to show a decision to leave anywhere just by virtue of what's the demand. I may be wrong. There may be like some, you know, mini Austin type situation going on in Omaha I don't know about. But that's sort of like from a thousand miles away is how it feels to me. I mean, you've lived in a couple of spots that are medium size, I would say. So I guess, you, like you said, it's case by case. Right, exactly. There's some stuff that like my indie theater in Florida was better about showing. And then there's other stuff that like you're much more likely to find over here in Albuquerque. So it's it depends on the movie, depends on the distributor. I mean, part of the reason that I've been able to catch up as much as I have um, is because some of the big Netflix releases are doing their weird let's play for one week and then hold off for a month until we release it on the platform strategy. Yeah. Um, at least two out of the five that I'm going to be talking about, I watched because of that. Yeah. And then the, the sixth, we both, both watched as a streaming option, but you know, right. let's just do that one first. Let's, uh, cause it's probably the one I think we might have the least amount to say just cause it sort of did its job and got out, which I appreciate. But the, uh, gardens of the galaxy holiday special, like yeah, for 40 minutes. Um, I, I liked the fact that it kind of just skipped over all the CGI stuff that like Marvel gets criticized for these days. There's no like giant hole in the sky they're fighting. Well, there's no really villain or antagonistic force at all. It's just all well. There's one holiday vibes. There's there's one at least for Drax. Ah, but not like you know. There's no like no one person is like attacking them no 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 he they're not having he, to like stop a giant sky beam or anything like that no it's a perceived slight from a man in a costume yeah but that's you know resolved in like 30 seconds so i mean listen if they want to bring back that i would be if they want the gobots to be like the ongoing antagonist of gardens of the galaxy i would not hate it well my understanding is that the ongoing Guardians of the Galaxy lasts as far as Volume Three, so they might have to rush it. That's true. They are, they are losing the voice of the franchise to DC. Well, my understanding is e- even before that, he was only planning on going as far as the three movies anyway. Oh, yeah. So if they do a fourth Guardians movie, it'll likely be from a different creative team and a different lineup of characters. True, and and you know. That I, I'm fine with them not wearing out their welcome. They they've done a pretty good job of them not showing up a ton in other things, and it's it sort of worked out in the same way that I think one of the reasons we like Hulk so much is just they've peppered him in the right amount. I mean, we know that's legal, also, but maybe that's what's going to happen with Namor going forward, also. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised in both cases. Um, I will say one thing that was really nice about the holiday special compared to because the last few times we've seen them have been in the last Avengers movies and it very briefly in Thor Love and Thunder. But there's something about having James Gunn back behind the reins. I don't yeah. know. They feel more like they themselves than they have probably since volume two. Yeah, yeah. they they can go off in, on their tangents in a way that they kind of just didn't in the other ones. I think people are. Or at least it feels more authentic now. I'm not sure how else to put it. It feels yeah, yeah. more naturally. Like, I just rewatched the first one not long ago. And, like, mm. it is kind of interesting to see where those characters started and where they are at sort of in the post-Endgame world. Because True. they are kind of radically different. And also, they're in a living situation in this one that I'm sure will be clarified a bit more in Volume 3 because it's very different than when we last saw them. I mean, we, um, we call, you catch on pretty quickly. 
Like, oh, I get it. Clear enough from context, but, like, I'd be very curious about, like, the logistics of how that came to be. Sure. I mean, it's an interesting, it's an interesting gig. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the best part of it, though, was that they finally let the character of Mantis be a character. Sure. And, like, as opposed to just kind of hanging out in the background and having one gag every 30 minutes, um, she feels, like, essential to the team in a way that she hadn't up until now and i thought that was pretty awesome oh yeah her and drax just having a little adventure is is yeah yeah well they knew they knew the pairing that they could get the most mileage out of oh yeah and when they agree on things it's also funny when they decide they hate like not decide but when they have their little riff about hating actors yeah like the the timing of it is just phenomenal that may be the like the funniest part of the of the of the uh special i was like of the show of the episode no but it's a one-off yeah, and I, I gotta say, com- given how many of their shows feel like they could have been movies, I'm definitely in favor of Between This and Werewolf by Night, the new sort of special pre- special presentation oh, yeah. uh, thing that they're trying. I think we can definitely afford to do more of those, and they are better for these. Ca- like, you don't want six episodes of Guardians Christmas. Like, no, this works better because it's such a small distilled thing. Do you? Th- now here's a here's a thing we probably don't know the answer to, but I'm curious. Do you think they could do a special presentation Hulk? Uh, Does it yeah, skirt the I just, line? I think they just need to tie it to something. Like you could do Hulk St. Patrick's Day or whatever. Like, and then they could say it's not a Hulk uh, solo project. Yeah, well, I mean, they can get away with She Hulk, so you know. I, I guess there are limits to what they can and can't do based on contracts and stuff. Who owns I feel like Hulk? they need to Who's... pair him up with someone. Yeah. It would Who's have to the... be someone and Hulk, like Thor and Hulk, for example. Yeah. Who's the um, who owns Hulk? Uh, well, it's like Universal it's a bunch owns of people. Solo. So yeah. like they can't do a solo Hulk movie without Universal. And I guess after the Incredible Hulk, they just don't want to do it that way. So that's why he's been a supporting character in everyone else's stuff basically and... since then. And Namor is Fox? I think Namor is no. also Universal. Okay. I wasn't sure uh, if it was But just they never studios. did anything with him. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I was just figuring out. I'm sure at some point they're going to solve that at a, at a juncture where it matters to them. Oh, they'll I think, have to. But I think also because the Hulk got so much play throughout the different Avengers movies and now even on She-Hulk has had a decent amount of face time. I don't think they're going to be in any rush to do, we need to do a solo Hulk film. No, I think if anything, they kind of like the challenge of like, oh, here's an interesting concept. We just can't do just Hulk. So where does Hulk fit in? You know, we can't do just Namor. It, it seems like it tickled them in a way. Well, and also you see the version in The Incredible Hulk and then you go to Mark Ruffalo in the first Avengers and onwards. And it is kind of a character that works better as part of the ensemble than being front and center. Yeah, no, the more the more you explore that character, I think the thinner he becomes. And I like, you know, peppering in the I'm always angry or just whether he's in a, a funnier mood. It's Yeah, I, I the amount we get of him is the right amount because you want more. And that is a rare thing in, in giant blockbusters. You don't usually want more of anything. If anything, you want less. Correct. Yeah. Uh, spoken by the guy who, uh, when we record next week, we'll have uh, had on back-to-back days Avatar and Babylon. So, yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure you'll want movie. every movie in the world to be shorter after that. Oh, oh my God. Um, when we talk about uh, one of the movies that you saw, I, I saw it for a second time uh, two days ago now. By the time you hear it, 
yesterday. I don't know. Whatever. You guys know what I mean. And uh, even knowing where I was in the movie, being like, okay, all right, let's go. Not in a bad way, just kind of wanting to see see the parts I was waiting for. But it was interesting to listen to a crowd, you know, think they knew when the ending was and realize, no, nope, we're not there yet. But yeah, short movies rule. Um, the I don't think any of the five we're talking about that you've seen are under two hours. Um, no, I don't think so. I think uh, some, some are two definitely of them are, longer than others, but they're all two hours plus. I mean, three of them, I think, are two and a half. Potentially or pretty close to it. Yeah. Well, when we get to it, we'll we'll go over that. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting world. Um, someone was asking me about that and I was saying, I, I, I don't think it's necessarily because of the blockbuster films, the Marvels and stuff that have, have gone that big, but I, I just think to get a movie greenlit at this point, you have to like kind of pitch it in a bigger way. I mean, we're seeing that with some of the, the awards films that are not breaking the bank and people aren't necessarily going if they don't find it to be like an event film, which makes to go back to like March, the everything everywhere all at one success, even more of an outlier in a good way of just like, oh, that connected. Whereas um, I don't remember what the example I saw on Twitter was, what the movie from a last year or the year before was that didn't do super hot box office wise and was considered like, oh, I guess maybe we can't nominate it. Whereas Tar, for example, I don't think anyone has docked it in the award season in the last month. If anything, it's built up more and it's made less money than that other film did. And we're seeing that with a lot of things. I, you know, a couple of movies we're going to talk about right now during the episode with one exception specifically have sort of underwhelmed at the box office. Yeah. And it's a little telling like when people pick and choose which movies to dock for that kind of thing, because frankly, it's been kind of an award season staple for many years now that the vast majority of the stuff that's nominated are not necessarily box office hits. It can help, especially when it comes to like PGA type stuff, but it's oh, yeah. like an awards friendly movie doing well at the box office. Like there's not enough of them each year for it to be that much of a factor. No, to the, to the point where um, I don't really dock them anymore. Like when we talk about one of these movies, they did exceptionally poorly compared to hopes, I would say. But I don't know that, that matters. I think I think a good box office is a, is a benefit unless you're a movie that doesn't necessarily have those ambitions. Like with Top Gun Maverick, Top Gun Maverick is not. Listen, it's probably going to get a Best Picture nomination. It would 100 percent not be if it came out and made 30 million dollars and was a box office failure, even with the reviews. It's that yeah, movie yeah. is tied in in the same way that like. If Avatar or Black Panther, the movies that are that are not to be craven, but are kind of trying to make money before other things um, don't do well, they not deservingly necessarily, but they get docked that. But, you know, um, Spencer last year, you know, it, it missed out on nominations for other reasons, but only having a couple million bucks didn't wasn't the reason why, you know, Coda, as far as the industry is concerned, it had a zero box office and it was going up against the power of the dog, which had a unknown box office. You know, they, it's not what it once was. It's a, it can be a boon, you know, the surprise hit like everything everywhere all at once, but it's not a, a penalization in the same way. 
Well, it's exactly. It's it's not necessarily a guarantee against, and it's not necessarily a guarantee for. It's just, again, it's a factor, but it's not. That's, in my experience, that's never been the one that determines the lineup. Exactly, because you have to assume that someone is aware of box office to begin with, and that's not always the case, so you can't even really worry about it. Um, before we get to the movies, let's do a little bit of news about movies. We had uh, two precursors, as well as the announcement that all 23 categories are coming back to the live show for the Oscars, which I probably could have told you was going to happen as a, as a course corrective, but they could essentially just do the opposite of everything they did last year and probably be on a solid path. Yeah, it's like they're kind of creating their own good buzz by virtue of just undoing all the stupid things they did last year. Yeah, hopefully not just to give them room to do new stupid things, but... You can only hope. Yeah, I mean, my op- my optimism is limited there. Um, so we had our first set of winners for anything, which were the Gothams. Uh, keep in mind, they mean very little, but you can position yourself, is I guess how I would I would say it. You can't... You can't write down this is over, but it's part of the path if it continues. Uh, I believe Troy Kotzer won last year yes. before he was seen as a as a you know lock. It was, oh, maybe he's going to get nominated. That's more what they're good at is keeping the indie performance on on people's minds on if you perhaps would like to say the radar. Um, so that's uh. that's where that's good for. Yeah, I didn't plan that when, when the site started, but it is pretty good for in like casual conversation to drop it in and be like, by the way, that's also the site. Yeah. Um, it works. Um, oh, I, I didn't, I didn't mention this just cause it came about mid last week and I didn't feel like lumping it into the podcast. Um, I moderated a Q and a on Monday for a, um, a film that like flea is an animated documentary in a, in a foreign language, Canada submission to the Oscars. And I kind of love that we're continuing this tradition that prior to flea, was it Waltz with Bashir, one or two others? It wasn't a big, consistent thing. And I, I kind of like that we're getting these hybrid works that, that get several bites at the Oscar apple. Yeah, no, I think that's yeah. fun. Oh, yeah. Eternal Spring is the film. It actually was initially ruled ineligible for animated. And if you recall a couple weeks ago when the Academy was like, never mind, Apollo 10 and a half and Marcel Deschel can be eligible. This was the third film they mentioned. Right. So uh, yeah. Yeah, when everyone's like, wait, there was a third one you ruled ineligible? But it was. It's a Canadian submission. It's about um, the one of the religions in China that's persecuted. I think it was 20 years ago. Some of the followers like took over like a news station to basically get their side of the story out. And then the Chinese government cracked down on them in a, in a major way. It's not an upper, but it's the type of doc that you almost never see as an animated film. Interesting. So I appreciated that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's probably not going to hit your your theaters, but I think it's going to Vice picked it up. So whatever, or didn't pick it up, but they're working with them on it. So whatever their platform is, I don't know if that's an HBO Max or you know Paramount Plus or a Hulu or something, but it'll be on there shortly, I believe. So something to look out for. Um, let's look at the Gotham winners. Uh, I'm gonna skip TV because you and I don't watch a ton of TV. Um. For those who cared about that, the nonfiction series was we need to talk about Cosby. That's one at least we we knew about. Um, so breakthrough director uh, Charlotte Wells wins for After Sun, a film that uh, literally everyone seems to like, if not love. And I I feel like I was softer on than maybe I even meant to be. 
because um, the ending is a is a banger of an ending. You haven't seen it yet, right? No, I don't know when I'll even get the chance. Uh, what does A twenty four do when they when they move to like streaming slash rental? Do they have a, a proprietary thing, or they just show up wherever? I think they. Well, no, a, a whole bunch of them just got dumped on. I want to say HBO Max, but I'm not sure. Probably not um, after some yet. So not yet, but it'll probably be somewhere in a few months. Mm. I don't. I think you'll like it. It's 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 the kind of like floaty headspace mood thing that um, I think you'll enjoy. Um, I I could also see a world where you're where you're like I needed more to happen, but I think in the way that like drive my car mm-hmm. is a little like floaty. If that makes sense, if you kind of get what I'm getting at, like kind um, of more slow and meditative. Yeah, yeah. Like you, like what you decide to bring to the movie is what you're going to get out of it. Sure. Yeah, and that can that can work for you. Um, other nominees of note there: Elegance Bratton for the Inspection nominee with him up on the site right now. Owen Klein for Funny Pages, which was a very strange movie that A twenty four put out earlier this year, but kind of cool. Also, wild that Owen Klein has directed a film now, right? Yeah, I still I still remember when the Squid and the Whale came out, and he was just this weird little boy putting his semen on everything. Yeah, um, I mean, the movie is weird enough that you will believe that that person made this movie um it's interesting i don't know that it was great it was interesting um best screenplay todd field won for tar not super shocking other nominees this was a fairly academy friendly um category he had koganada for after yang um also i believe in a24 a24 really does well with the gothams uh james gray armageddon time lena dunham catherine cold birdie that's a amazon movie i think also really delightful i think kelly would like it Okay. It's um it's basically um I don't want to say like if they did Shakespeare modern type of movie, but it's it's got a very modern sensibility to a um a period thing. Also I believe it's based on a YA books. So maybe that's part of why. And um and Sarah Polly for women talking. So maybe this was even an upset. It was gonna be Field or Polly. I think yeah, it was between the two, so it could have gone either way. Sure. Um, breakthrough performers that went to Gracia Filipovic from Marina, which I have not seen. Um, the, um, daughter from after Sun, Frankie Corver was nominated. Callie Reese from catch the fair one, which is a pretty good, uh, pretty good movie from Sundance this year. Anna Diop from nanny, which is getting a huge push way bigger than I would have thought. And Anna Cobb from we're all going to the world's fair. A very, very small movie. I saw at, Sundance? Tribeca? I don't remember. Um, and then the big categories, um, these um, Gotham's went uh, gender neutral uh, this year, which do we ever, did I ever ask you what you think of that? Uh, I don't think we talked about it on the pod. I think it's an interesting way to go because it does, as uh, actors who are not, you know, strictly one gender or another conforming start to have more of an influence in the nomination space is a valid question of how you sort of categorize that. And so this is one method where you effectively sidestep it and you're focusing more on lead versus supporting than you are um, actor versus actress. Sure. I, I, I don't know how I feel about it. I have no like social political issue with it. Make that very clear. Like that's, I don't really think anyone who didn't love the idea had that, or at least no one that we listened to. There could be a couple of voices that we, and we all know who they are, who probably had a problem with it. But 
I think my only question is what happens in a year? And I guess we've seen it here. Like, you know, how would you feel if, you know, there's 10 nominees, eight of them are actors, or eight of them are actors, whichever, it doesn't matter. And you're the third of the other side and you don't, you don't hit when you would have been a prime contender. I could see that being a little bit of sour grapes. Yeah. But, uh, well, I think this is a good, it's a small enough awards body to sort of test drive something sure. like this. Um, because yeah, I don't think it's a perfect solution by any stretch, but I I appreciate the fact that they're trying something. Oh, yeah. I guess I the other to your point because I want to your point because I want to say the leading category, it was like I think it's eight to eight, two, eight to two for eight, no seven three, seven three, seven yeah, three, seven three. But still, that's pretty, and that speaks to this year in general where lead actress is such a volatile field and lead actor you're struggling to find a five. Um, oh yeah. So well, I know you had that could, you had your rant about Tom Cruise. Yeah. But I think, you know, that could sort of fluctuate year to year, just depending on what sure. comes out. So but we I we've easily had those actor argue. years. Sorry. I said we've definitely had those actor years where it's like, oh, this is an eight person bloodbath. And that doesn't even take into account the other actors. Well, exactly. Like, I, yeah. No. Um, so it's, uh, you know. I, I could definitely see there being some bad faith interpretations and I can see people being like, well, you know, so and so would have gotten in if like the normal amount of male or female uh, contenders got in. So I don't know. I don't know what the better what the best solution is. If oh, yeah, there's no thought of the only other solution I thought of. And I don't know if this is a solution. I'm sure there's problems with it that I didn't think of in my like quick two seconds. Like, what about this as an option? So consider this more of like a blue sky, like what if this kind of consideration? What if you had a performer who is um, non-gender conforming in some way choose which category they want? Like they they can – in the same I, way that I you submit as leader how, supporting. I believe that's how it's been done up until now. Like you look at um, um, uh, Asia Kate Dillon. Uh, yes. Who, uh, was in um, uh, John Wick 3. They're in um, – they're uh, non-binary and they're in um, that show Billions. And I yes. want to say they were up for like Emmy consideration or something like that. And uh, they had to choose, you know, actor versus actress. And I think they went with actor because the word itself is is less gender yeah. specific than actresses. I think they have a – I think the problem with But that's that like idea. everyone would have their different thing. And uh, yeah, exactly. I don't know. I don't think that that's a perfect solution. I don't think there is a perfect solution. Welcome welcome to our current world. But yeah. I – I think the problem with that one, not necessarily that the actor or actress can choose to campaign where they want, because that should be totally fine. I think it's when you have the studio, when you have the voters themselves, because we are all, we are not always dealing with the most enlightened of people. So, like, I just um, reviewed just one on the site for um, Lady Chatterley's Lover on Netflix, and the lead of that, Emma Corrin, identifies as non-binary. But if you were to take a look at at uh, Emma Corwin, you would categorize as an actress. And I think many uh, a voter would just be quick to check that off or even have a like question if it was the other way around. And I, and that's just sort of, I think maybe societally we're still a few, few years off from this being easier to handle. I don't know. We don't have the answer. Welcome again. Welcome to modern politics, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're, Obviously, also not necessarily the most qualified individual no. to speak on this for a variety of reasons. I think we both end on the right place of like, it's not our choice. It shouldn't be our choice. Like, the no, people it should affected by this. It should definitely never be our choice. But exactly. I, I just think at the end of the day, 
any move towards something that's more inclusive, that's more respectful of non-conforming sort of lifestyles, I think is a move in the right direction. And whatever form that continues to grow and to take, I'm sure will be involved by the people at the center of it. Exactly. It will, if it bugs you, it's not going to affect you. We can promise you that. And if it's a problem um, for the individual person and they're trying to solve it, that's good for them. Like <laughs> their their happiness will not make you unhappy. I promise you this. And if it does, that's a bigger problem than who's nominated for an award. So back to the awards now that we uh, tried to solve the world's problems. Um, for the outstanding supporter performance, it did actually match up. It did go 5-5, five, five, interestingly, um, which they didn't obviously plan. Um do you rem- do you know who won outstanding supporting performance? Well, that would be our main man Kihi Kwan, wouldn't it? Yes, giving giving what many have dubbed early on. I mean, there's really been only these speeches, but the speech of the season so far. Um, it was a very good speech. There, there's it's very hard not to root for an actor when they talk about like a year ago. I just wanted a job, let alone you know this movie, let alone an award for this movie. So between that and and I think his um, story about meeting Harrison Ford for the first time in thirty years. He, there's a there's a lot of goodwill building right now. Oh, yeah. Well, he's like in some ways almost more so than Fraser. He's got the narrative to beat this season. And I think that's going to never mind that, like, in many ways, he was the first front runner because the performance, you know, hit so hard relatively early in the year and has kept that momentum. Um, I think, you know. It's it's going to be a lot of who's going to be the two through five that, you know, are respectfully clapping on Oscar night. Probably. I haven't made the change yet just because I wanted to see something like this. I'm close to it. I would I don't know what the next major nomination to look out for is or next like award. But I wouldn't be shocked if I've made the change by then unless I already did. It's also possible I might have and forgot about it. Because I moved him up to two. Because if you recall, I had him like at six for a while. I I was epically skeptical. Just because I think the least of the Academy. Which is weird because, you know, I'm so tied in with my livelihood to them. Um, but, yeah, there's also not an easy alternative. Brendan Gleeson, I guess, right? Yeah, he would be my number two. But even still, like, and there's definitely a narrative or like Judd Hirsch even. I mean, Judd uh, Hirsch, except he has the nom. I, I don't know. I feel like it, if he had never been nominated, even that might have helped. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about the Fablemans later, but you know they still have a world where they get two actors in, and then well, they cancel it, each other out. Exactly, exactly. No, I just I don't think anyone else is leading the pack the way that Quan is right now, and no. I think this is if this is you know the face that he's putting out there, this sort of gleeful, you know, excitement, just happy to be here. Similar to what Fraser's doing, arguably. Um, I think uh, that'll pave the way. And that's, you know, that makes people think, oh, well, we want to get, have him show up at our show. And then, you know, one thing leads to another. True. I mean, it would be very Academy to make the only win for women talking Ben Wishaw. Oh, God, but, well, don't even go there. But I mean, to that point, there is a world where he remains a supporting actor front runner throughout. Sure. Maybe everything everywhere doesn't get pulled along with him as much as we initially expect. I hope that's yeah. not the case, but there's a world where that happens. Oh, no, I'm still or that, like where he's the only win for it or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm still waiting to see about like below the line. They'll be in play, but, you know, scale and size and budget 
often can rule the day there. So they are maybe a little more behind the eight ball. But no, I will have to see a couple of bigger precursors and like especially SAG um, and PGA. But I, I would be I would be probably surprised at this point if everything everywhere is not nominated for picture actress supporting actor. Director and screenplay seem a little harder. I think screenplay is fairly safe. Director, I agree, is a tougher, tougher play. But director, I, I, director, I, I think they'll they'll probably not go for. Um, but screenplay, probably. I mean, the only thing just depends on original is does have a little more depth. And there are a couple of not necessarily they're not more deserving by any stretch, but their names. And sometimes that gets you, the, you know, the, the votes on the fringe. So I could see them missing in a way that I, I don't see as in the cards for like Michelle Yao, which sure. then leads to like, is this going to be a real A24 awards this year? I mean, but it also depends because like, and I tweeted about this not too long ago. I think they're really dropping the ball on the whale. Like most people I know don't know that this movie exists. Uh, I it's, think it's only in like the awards bodies where we've all been assuming that Brendan Fraser's the front runner kind of because of the narrative and because it's, you know, it, it's a role that's worthy of that. But like, I don't know that they're giving it the same attention. They're giving everything everywhere, everything everywhere you hear about, likely, you know, they're going out to dinners and they're doing photo shoots and they're, oh, yeah, you know, they're screening definitely... the film for voters. They're really pushing it. I'm just not seeing that same enthusiasm behind the whale like to there's the point a where their poster is just that lazy still that was floating around and was the only image of the film yeah. for half the year well interestingly so so recording this a couple hours after i interviewed brendan fraser um which you guys will hear next week on the site um time to the release which makes it kind of interesting that it is starting its run next week um and we did actually kind of talk about that and and he and we've talked about this before that i think the out-of-context image of Charlie would not benefit the conversation in a way that they're they're being... I don't know that they're dropping the ball. They might. We might look back and say they are. I think they're being very protective of the property and trying to limit or eliminate the the mockery, um, which is something that, that Brendan was very keen on talking about, how like the bullying and pejorative nature of um, obesity is sort of seen as acceptable still. And in a way that you know, if this was another type of movie, you just you wouldn't see happen. So I wonder if they're being cognizant of that. Anecdotally, tell me what you think of this. I got the A24 like screener bundle and they did not include the whale. They mentioned in their paper that they would have additional titles coming soon. So they've done this is what um, Netflix used to do. They would send their brick of like everything when they didn't have as many movies. And then they would send the ones they cared about separately. Okay. So, though at the same time, they included everything everywhere in the pile. So I don't know if that's like just balancing the equation in a way. They had the premiere for The Whale last night in New York, and that seemed well attended. But yes, they do seem to be not trying terribly hard to get the average filmgoer excited for the movie in a way that they really tried with everything everywhere and, and largely succeeded. 
Well, and I think that was the thing when we were having those early conversations back in the spring about how much of an awards player Everything Everywhere was going to be. And I think the popular sort of logic at the time was, oh, well, The Whale is a much more awards-friendly film. That'll get the bulk of their push. And then Everything Everywhere, I guess we'll see. But you've kind of, we've been kind of able to see, been able to see it in real time um, that it's completely shifted the other way, and now everything everywhere is like the obvious choice to push, and the whale is like, I mean, maybe some acting stuff, I think um, which is not to say it it's well. limit. And I mean, maybe that is the best play for the film, regardless. The re- the point I was making about um, everything everywhere going in for screenplay before was in a year where the movie isn't catching on as well as it has. It's the kind of movie where screenplay would be the only thing it's up for. You know what I mean? It's like a Charlie Kaufman sort of yeah, yeah. Uh, awards let's, approach. Uh, when we finish Gotham and and Spirit, spoiler for that, we'll look at let's look at the original screenplay for a quick second just to see because you're probably right. I just wanted to confirm. I'm here. This is what A24 said. We're pleased to offer a selection of our 2022 releases for your year-end consideration. It closed. Please find screeners of the following A24 films: After Yang, After Sun, which they're also kind of pushing. Bodies, bodies, bodies. Good luck with that. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Funny pages. God's creatures. Marcel the shell with shoes on. Men. Pearl. <laughs> yep. Men, Pearl, stars at noon, and X. And it says, look out for additional A24 titles coming soon. Which makes me think that um, The Whale, The Inspection. Um, what's another one they have? They might have another one. Um, that they're going to send out in their own manner. Maybe that's also their their calculus, <clears throat> is we know they're going to not make as much money. So let's just go directly to the voters and kind of skip over that part. That's fair. That could definitely be. Maybe. Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily get the sense that they're that they're made it second choice. I think they're they're being calculated. They're also getting some of the work done for them because I have anecdotally noticed that a lot of pundits, not myself, interestingly, because I think I like the movie more than anyone else who's done this. But if you look at their like 10 spot in picture, the whale is the number 10 in a lot of predictions right now, which I would not have expected. Um, so don't know well, what to that be honest, is. And of course I haven't seen it and probably won't for another few weeks, but I don't even have it in my 10 right now. Like I, I, think, I don't I think either. they're really, I think actor and maybe one of the two supporting actresses, but I'd, I used to think both. I don't even necessarily think that anymore. No, I think I think Hong Chao is, is going to be their their horse there. I think she, she seems to be the one they're pushing more so, which is odd because, again, having seen the play, Sadie Sink has the role where you would think that would naturally go through. But I'm I curious Hong when Chow you see it, certain... if they expanded the role at all for, for Hong Chao. I, I'll be interested, um, too, because from the way I'm reading it, it feels like they have, or at least they put more prominence on her. Well, in, in the play, how often is she around Charlie? Is she pretty much in a lot of the scenes, or does she come in and out as much as anyone else? She, um, I would say about comparable to the uh, the Mormon guy. Okay, he's in it a little less than she is, I would say. Okay. I don't yeah, know. Th- it may that also, sounds about right. Yeah, I would say I would say they. it's more likely that they expanded her as opposed to shortchanging anyone else. Sure. Um, yeah, I'll be, I'm very curious once you see it, we can, we'll have that conversation. Um, so the other supporting nominees who lost, uh, Mark Rylance, Bones and All, which you haven't seen yet. Not yet. Uh, you're going to love it or hate it. I don't know which one, um, but he's doing a thing. Brian Tyree Henry and Causeway. Interestingly that he's getting more attention than Jennifer Lawrence. They're both really good. Raul Castro in the inspection, Gabrielle Union in the inspection. 
Nina Haas in Tar, Nomi Merlant in Tar, Hong Chow in The Whale, Ben Wishaw in Women Talking, and Jesse Buckley in Women Talking. So they, they kind of stuck with a, a handful of films, but still, six of the nominees were three films. But well, it was a nice uh, mix. That's kind of the case with a lot of the supporting categories this year, though, is that it's a lot of like two to three people from a smaller handful of films. Like True. If you look at the Fablemans, you look at women talking, the woman king. She said, you know, there's a mm-hmm. lot of where it's like at least two or three people from any given film, everything everywhere um, yeah. are up for serious consideration. Though, as uh, though as Robert wrote earlier this week about she said. In his eyes, Universal is kind of dropping the ball with Carrie Mulligan being supporting and basically rendering Jennifer Ely and Samantha Morton basically with no chance. I Um, I was thinking about that, and we can get a bit more into it, but that is something I was definitely like, in any other year, Eel and Morton would be like shoe-ins for like that, like, they're in one or two scenes, but they steal those scenes. Well, very similar to the Judd Hirsch performance. Sure. Um, But by putting Mulligan supporting, she invariably kind of comes up ahead of them yeah and and maybe still we'll we'll talk we'll talk about it in a little bit but like i still think she can win but i'm starting to see people dropping her entirely so i wonder if the three of them or four if you include patricia clarkson who's good but like not in a baity role like that could just split the votes in a way that they all fall short yeah it's entirely possible so um for outstanding lead performance Danielle Deadweiler won for Till, which was a nice uh, reminder that Till exists because it kind of came and went theater-wise and box office-wise, which we just talked about isn't a huge deal. But a win helps, um, especially in a lineup that for Best Actress is going to have limited African-American actresses. Your your options are going to be thinner than they have been in certain other years. So I... It does not hurt to have her take an early title. She's also very good in the movie, even though it's not a movie I'm completely in love with. And I would imagine a movie you're fairly uninterested in. I I wouldn't go that far. I think it's just one of those things where it's it's a movie that I would struggle through. And I think as it gets to later in the season and I have to be a bit more selective about what I'm seeing just because there's only so much time in the day. Uh, it is one that kind of falls to the wayside sure. by virtue of I kind of already know how I'm going to feel about it. Yep, and you know I how you're going to feel. It's going to be a tough time watching it, but I also get what it's trying to do. Yeah, you've seen the movie essentially by knowing yeah. what the movie is doing, which is in some ways a shortcoming for the film. I still think the film is fine, but yeah, you, you've seen it in a way that um, kind of is the case with a movie I saw today we'll talk about in a little bit, but also it then dovetails into something else just in the nick of time before you're like i don't think i like this but we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute um danielle deadwire beat kate blanchett for tar dale dickey for a love song colin farrell for after yang brendan fraser the whale paul mezcal after sun uh tandy newton god's country aubrey plaza emily the criminal i love that they remembered her taylor russell bones and all and michelle yell everything everywhere all at once so interesting. Doesn't mean anything. Keep that in mind. But interesting. International film went to happening, um, beating Athena, the Banshees of Anishiran, Corsage, Decision to Leave, and Saint Omer. That was an interesting upset, I would say. Yeah, but that's one that I keep hearing talked about. I definitely don't think we should be uh, losing track of it anytime soon. No, not at all. All that breathes one documentary, uh, mainly beating all the Beauty and the Bloodshed, which 
I certainly don't hate because I'm not huge on all the beauty and the bloodshed. And best feature of the nominees were After Sun, The Cathedral, Dos Estaciones, uh, uh, Tar, and Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Everything Everywhere Wins. So good night for that film. Yep, very um, much so. I can yeah, see very a world where those are their two Oscar wins. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, let me pull up original screenplay real quick since we talked about it. And while I'm sitting here, um, my I have the whale at 14, just for argument's sake. Um, my, my number 10 is a movie I, I will be a little annoyed if it gets into picture, but also I'm preparing myself for it. I have Elvis. Oh, God. Uh, listen, the argument's definitely there. There's definitely a world where it happens. We'll see. I think the precursors are going to tell us a lot. Yeah, I'm just I'm expecting that PGA nomination for Elvis. Yeah, it could definitely and it's gonna happen. It's going to keep it right until the end. Um, all right. So, ah, you want to laugh? Okay. My best original screenplay winner is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Well, there you go. Um, this is a this is a, a recent update. I think I flipped it over Banshees um, and Fablemans. Though those are right. Those are probably the top three. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Tar for Tar is pretty safe. So I think there might be four pretty solid picks right there. Would be surprised if one of those missed. Yeah, all all of those seem. Yeah. I, so you're yeah. yeah your number five is Throw a Rock. Um, I have Armageddon time right now just because they are doing some little things with James Gray. Um, at six, I have Triangle of Sadness. I don't love the movie, but it's it's kind of the thing I can see them doing. With a, for seven, is like seven and eight are examples I was kind of talking about of they may not necessarily be as worthy, but could steal a slot. Uh, Empire of Light and Babylon, having sure. having name Oscar winners penning in, in um, the former's case, a personal story, and in the latter case, a movie about movies, even though the former is also sort of a movie about movies. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and then the and then the woman king, which yeah. is going to I think hover around things for a while. Yeah, that's one where I think the September release kind of probably hurts it because it hasn't built up any momentum. Yeah, since it came this was, out, this was a I think that was kind of a situation where they pitched themselves as a movie trying to make money. And then they did fine, but not amazing enough to get the like, oh, you're a big movie that made a lot of money Oscar buzz that we were talking about earlier. So they kind of fell in into the cracks, though. Another one would be zero percent surprised if it's PGA nominee or a SAG sure. nominee or gets PGA SAG. And then you have to like, I think maybe is that number 10 in picture also. That's that's something to keep an eye out on. Um, let's do uh, Spirit Awards quickly and then we'll talk about the movies we've seen. Um, the Robert Altman award is going to women talking, which if you recall is how they get around, not having to figure out how to get various people in an ensemble nominated. They're no longer in the acting categories, but they get to, um, all kind of share a collective award. And it's normally a film of this ilk, you know, in the award season, medium level or higher though. Snacky won once, right? Yeah, that sounds right. That was maybe one of their their closest as they get to like an out there choice. They real they do like to pick things that are awards friendly for that as like their non competitive like we're giving it to you prize. Uh, let's see, cinematography. Tar is nominated for cinematography, which 
I believe it's going to get nominated at this point. It's hitting a lot of spots. Yeah, I don't see why not. Yeah. Um, Marina, Neptune Frost's After Sun, which I thought was an interesting pick. And then the one that I know will, will tickle you, Pearl. <laughs> I mean, that is one of that film's high points. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's impossible to argue with it quality-wise. It's just where else was a awards body going to nominate Pearl for editing? Who's to say? Except, exactly. Um, I'm sorry, for um, cinematography. For editing, The Cathedral, After Sun. After Sun did very well. Uh, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, which is an interesting pick because I guess, guess there is a lot of editing in that movie. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, to yeah. incorporate but, the animation. Exactly. Um, Tar and Everything Everywhere All at Once. The latter two seem destined to duke that one out. For sure. International film, Corsage, Joyland, Leonor Will Never Die, St. Omer, and Return to Soul, which is a, a movie I've, I've reviewed on the site, is pretty good. Um, I'm glad that one's not sort of falling through the cracks. Nominees for Documentary, All That Breathes, which seems to be doing very well early on. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, A House Made of Splinters, Midwives, and Riotville, USA. It's about what you would expect from, from them. They're not like going in any crazy direction there. Yeah. Um, breakthrough performance, I think, is new for them. I, I don't can't remember. Recall. I don't I can't recall them doing it. I could also just be stupid. Um, but in, in, in case it is the first time, we've now said it. Uh, Frankie Corio, After Sun. Uh, Gracia Filipovic from Marina. The same two nominees from Gotham for Breakthrough. Uh, Stephanie Sue for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, Lily uh, McInerney from Palm Trees and Power Lines, a deeply upsetting movie that's um, she's very good in, but I can't imagine anyone saw out of Sundance. It's a movie about basically being groomed by a pedophile. Oh, and okay. uh, yeah, exactly. Like the the charming, like older guy and she's the teenage girl. Yeah, it's as upsetting as you expect it to be. And uh, Daniel... Zagadri for funny pages. I would imagine everything everywhere is going to take this one. One can only hope. Yeah. I mean, you never know, but as we start to see how the films did, it's not going to be uh, maybe shocking. Um, They also are gender neutral. Just keep that in mind. Best supporting performance. Jamie Lee Curtis, everything everywhere all at once. Brian Tyree, Henry Causeway, Nina Haas, Tar, Brian Darcy, James, the cathedral. Always nice to see him show, show up in something like that. Uh, Trevante Rhodes for Bruiser, which I have not heard of. Theo Rossi, Emily the Criminal, very good. Uh, Mark Rylance, Bones and All, boy, are they, is he doing a thing? Jonathan Tucker as the pedophile in Palm Trees and Power Lines. Gabrielle Union in The Inspection. And who were we just talking about, Miles? I, we talked about a lot of people in the last In, in a supporting category. In supporting category. Uh, Kihi Kwan? Uh, exactly. I was teeing you up to continue... He seems like the front runner here, doesn't he? Oh, yes, of course. Especially without a um, a woman talking woman. Yeah, so, well, because they haven't really like I've seen Claire Foy get a bit of a recent push, but I I think there's still no definitive front runner there. I think Buckley and Foy are gonna like one A one B it until something happens. Exactly. Um, interesting to see Jamie Lee Curtis get in because I I initially was kind of skeptical of that one as like it's 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 not a cameo, but it's it's a sillier performance than the rest of the movie, but she wants it. And I respect it. 
Well, I think her whole thing could be she can ride the whole veteran actor who's never been nominated sort of thing, at least to a nomination. And she's in some ways riding the coattails of an otherwise very popular movie. So it's one of those things where she sort of slips in, which I've seen a lot of debate about how like that would be kind of bullshit if she got in over Stephanie Sue, who obviously has a much bigger role and is much more like doing a much bigger thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I can see the argument both ways. My ideal situation is that they both get in, but sure. we will see what happens. Exactly. And also she's kind of in a way um, campaigning for the film at the same time by lending the the weight of being a, a big star, which I think sure. people sometimes forget that, like, no, she's a legitimate big star. Like people will come to an event because she's there and never doubt that that is a thing. Listen, I... I saw the Fablemans for the second time this week, and I guarantee you there were people who were there because the introduction to the film was Steve Martin talking about, you know, being friends with Spielberg, essentially. People come out because of stars. There's there's fewer and fewer, but um, need I remind you how much money Top Gun Maverick made this year? Exactly. It is still a thing. Best lead performance, a category in which Tom Cruise was decidedly not eligible for. I think the film missed by about $200 million. Maybe more. <laughs> I said that and then realized, no, it could have been, I could have undersold how much that movie cost. Yeah, give or take. Do we, do we know how much it cost? Uh, well, it's also, I'm sure they fudged the numbers because of how many delays it had. That definitely and, added. Oh, yeah. And, and the definite reshoots they went through when they had all that time and the script rewrite. Yeah, there, there's the amount of extra money that went into that film, for the better, is probably the cost of a mid to upper tier movie on its own. Oh, easily. Oh, yeah. Um, but the people nominated this time, we had Kate Blanchett for Tar, Dale Dickey, A Love Song, Mia Goth, Pearl. Kind of wish it was for X, but I, X might not have been eligible. Like uh, was. I think X is the better movie, but I think Pearl has her better performance. That's fair. I may just be blinded by preferring X as a movie. More the more I think about it, honestly. Pearl has faded in a way that X hasn't. Yeah, I'd agree with that, but I still think... When it comes to her her acting, Pearl just gives her so much more to do. Oh, she's just front and center. She's the entire movie. Oftentimes in the, in the only person in a scene. Um, also, we have Regina Hall, Honk Virginia, Jesus, Save Your Soul. Didn't love the movie. She's pretty good in it. Paul Mezcal, After Sun, Aubrey Plaza, Emily the Criminal. Love the week she had. Jeremy Pope, The Inspection. Uh, interview with him will be up as you guys uh, listen to this. Andrew Riseborough to Leslie. Uh, good good performance in a solid movie. Taylor Russell, Bones and All. Michelle Yao, Everything Everywhere All at Once. People were a little shocked that Brendan Fraser did not get nominated. But I guess that's maybe the example of what we were talking about earlier. That just the numbers game. Yeah. Um, Michelle or Kate, right? That seems the way this is going to go. Yeah, by a long shot. Yeah. Uh, first screenplay. Palm Trees and Power Lines, Fire Island, Emergency, Emily the Criminal, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Don't know how that one's going to go. No, we'll surprise Bodies. Game. Yeah, we'll surprise the Bodies, Bodies, Bodies got in, but they like a movie like that. Uh, screenplay, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Daniels, Catherine Cole Birdie, Lena Dunham, Todd Field Tar, Coconata After Yang, Sarah Polly, Women Talking. That's that's a heavy hitter lineup. Yeah. Um, don't know how that one's going to go. Maybe oh. depends on how director goes. Considering nominees are the Daniels, Todd Field, Coconata, Sarah Polly. Do you know who the fifth nominee is? 
not offhand. The director of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. That's right. Ah, uh, that's a interesting choice. Yeah. Uh, listen, uh, cool. I think we both kind of felt the same about that movie, right? Like, fine, but I'm good. Yeah, exactly. I just, it's, you know, in a long line of films that aren't quite as clever as they think they are. Exactly. Clearly nominated for screenplay and directing. Um, John Cassavetti's Award, The African Desperate, The Cathedral, Holy M, A Love Song, Something in the Dirt. I've seen a couple of them. They're all fine. Um, Best first feature, After Sun, Emily the Criminal, The Inspection, Marina, Palm Trees, and Power Lines. I got to assume After Sun would take that. That's my inkling, yeah. Yeah. And best feature. Nominees are Bones and All, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Our Father the Devil, Tar, and Women Talking. Quite the interesting lineup. Um, Let's move on to things we've seen. In fact, let's talk about a thing that you've seen. Um... I told you the one I, I gave you a sort of order, but like, feel free to talk about whatever you want first in the run of things you're caught up on. If you have something you're a little more passionate about, perhaps. Um, I mean, I probably have as bad as much to say as most of these, with one exception. Okay. Um, because yeah, I, I caught up on a bunch of um, awards pseudo centric uh, films over the past two weeks. Uh, so with one exception, I'll run through them in order. Um, so first of all, I saw, she said, uh, which was a movie that, especially when the trailer came out, we had a a lot of conversation about how I was a little skeptical because with the subject matter and, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's so easy to do this wrong. Yeah. There's a very bad version of this movie that could exist. Exactly. And thankfully it dodges I would say 99% of my concerns. I think, you know, there's still a little, there's the teeniest amount of patting oneself on the back for the ending text bit. But, um, but that's, you know, it's kind of nitpicky in the scheme of things, but I think it's a very good journalism movie. You know, I put it up there with all the president's men, Zodiac, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, Spotlight, Spotlight, et cetera. You know, all, all the heavy hitters, I'd say it's, on that level for sure. I think Zoe Kazan and Carrie Mulligan are both excellent. Um, Samantha Morton and Jennifer Eel do a lot with a, a very little amount of screen time. Um, it's just a compelling movie. And like, once you're in it, you're like engrossed in it from start to finish. So it, it does a good balance of, you know, paying tribute and honoring the stories that it's telling, but also being an involving movie at the same time. Um, yeah. so I can definitely see it being a contender. How much so is something sort of for the precursors to tell us, but I definitely think it's going to be in the conversation. Um, cause it just hits all those notes very successfully. And obviously it's a very relevant story. For sure. Um, uh, so yeah. yeah, much, much more. I, I didn't go in with the biggest expectations. This one was a very pleasant surprise. And you said Kelly skipped it, right? Uh, she did. Yeah, she was not comfortable with the subject matter. So she saw Spirited, a movie that I was not interested in. You weren't comfortable with that subject matter. No, Ryan Reynolds singing and dancing. Get out of here. Exactly. Um, I will say, um, you know, I'm on record loving. She said, we'll see about the award stuff. Um, I did like the the realism of some of the characters. Like, so in the same way that if you remember Billy Crudup in Spotlight, 
he could yeah. easily be the villain of the piece and he's not played that way. He's played as a guy doing a job who is progressively more aware of like, oh no, I think I'm on the wrong side of this. I can't like not do my job. I have an obligation, but I also not only see where you guys are coming from. Like I kind of want, I, he's not being disingenuous when he says he wants to help them. You know, when they first, when one of those meetings where like they're threatening him and he's kind of like, I don't know what to do here. And they have a version of that here with, um, one lawyer. Uh, was it the Zach Grenier or someone else? Um, Lanny Davis is the character. I don't remember oh, who the okay. actor is. The older gentleman. Because I really love the scene where they're talking to him and they're like, you know, this is all going to come out. And he goes, it usually does. Like, I, I like that they made room to not have the the lawyer be like, a, nope, Harvey's innocent. It's all misunderstanding. Just be like, yeah, listen, I know the same stuff you do. I, I, I'm obligated to give him sound legal advice, but I'm in no way impeding what you guys are doing. I thought that was a, a deeply realistic, if not necessarily like cinematic version. I liked that the movie was focused on like, here's pretty much what happened. And we'll give it to you in a movie way that's compelling as a movie, but we're not going to, we're not going to lie. You know, I'm, I I don't know how, how he is in real life, but I thought that was an interesting. Like, I just like the power of like, it usually does. Like, I'm the one meant to defend this man and I'm aware that this is all going to come out as well. Yeah, exactly. A, well, it's, it's a different play on a very familiar trope. And I think that's true of a lot of what the movie does is that it comes to its various breakthroughs in a very organic way. For sure. Um, yeah, we, we've talked a fair amount about it. We'll, we'll see what happens as it does or doesn't do things. I'm sure we'll come up to talk about it again. But I do I do hope that it does get some attention. I especially hope people don't completely forget about Zoe Kazan, an actress. Um, even, even a couple people I know who are not always the biggest fans of her work seem really into this performance. It's kind of gaining, like, the consensus as being maybe the best of her career. So I hope it at least gets something somewhere. I tell you what, it just, it does, there is some sort of visual dissonance between the fact that like she dresses like, you know, she's on her way to middle school, but also Mm -hmm. she has two kids. Yeah. It's, I mean, they're, they're definitely a little younger than their counterparts, but also, you know, well, That's... Mulligan, I think I buy a bit more as like, you know, a mom, like a working mom type. Kazan still, re- like, regardless of her actual age, she reads very young. Yeah. And also she doesn't work quite often enough. Um, like she she works, but like. Not, not always in the most mainstream affair. Exactly. Like she'll she's played a mom and stuff before, but sometimes they'll be in like The Monster, which was a, it's a really good arty horror film. But, you know, 17 people saw it. Right. So you're just you, no one has the mental image of her as a mom. You're you're still thinking more of like Ruby Sparks or even like it's complicated or something like that, where it's like, oh, you're in your like early 20s. And that's that's where we envisioned you, even though I think she's my age. Give or take a year on either direction. Um, interesting. We'll talk about that more. when We talk about the Fablemans with Paul Dano, because <laughs> there's a guy yeah. who um <laughs> If I told you he was 25, you'd be like, that seems young, but you wouldn't call me an out-and-out liar. And then you watch the movie, like, I think he's like 50 in this movie, but it works. Um, I think it works. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, Unless that's the movie that's next up, but I don't think it is. Uh, I think we'll save it for last, but spoilers, yeah, I saw The Fablemans. Um, But yeah, let's go through the next. The next one is probably the one I have the least to say about, which is uh, Bardo. Yeah, boy. The longest of of the movies, too. And, th- and I saw the shorter version as well, so I can't even imagine what the longer one was like. Just imagine uh, every scene is a little longer. <laughs> oh, God. 
Listen, I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's got some stunning cinematography, some really mm-hmm. effective uh, tracking shots, and just sure. s- some really bonkers imagery that's really interesting to sort of puzzle over. And like, it's a pleasant enough viewing experience moment to moment, but it's like an hour too long. And yeah. especially for how abstract and obtuse it is, it's just, it's the kind of cinematic visual experimental storytelling that works best in a shorter dose but oh there was there's a 90 minute version of this movie i think it's my favorite movie of the year oh totally well and it's like it's very clearly going for that fellini eight and a half sort of vibe and it's it's and i think yeah a 90 minute version of it i would be very compelled by because there were long stretches where i was very into everything that's happening but it hits a certain point where it just kind of runs out of steam and then the fact that it's still going weighs on your mind far more than anything that's happening in it do you Um, think now i'll I'll be a little vague just in case i don't i don't i think the people who've wanted to see this movie have seen it but just in case um what we learn by the end of the film, the recontextualization that we get, if the film had started with that and had used that as sort of a framing device, I kind of think it might have worked a little better. Because by the time we get to that, I'm very interested in that section of the movie, but I'm also a little exhausted. Well, I think that's the thing. It it introduces a new thing that recontextualizes, like you say. But by that point, you're too exhausted to be invested in then going back. And like you can't even keep track of everything you've seen at that point because there's just been so much thrown at you. And well, again, highs are really high. The highs are really high. And I think there's a lot of, you know, cinematic relevance to it. I think, you know, you cannot make an argument that Alejandro Inuritu is like, a master craftsman who knows how to like create use the language of cinema to tell his stories i just think this particular story and the roundabout way he wanted to tell it i don't know in many ways his indulgences are his own worst enemy here yeah it's not it's not my story and it's not many people's story but there is a cultural identification that can happen with this movie that i think is very beneficial to the film but if we go back to the the middling to even poor reception at, at Venice, people seem to penalize the movie for that. And I don't understand that part. But just because he's not telling a story I personally relate to doesn't negate that experience. And oh, yeah. the things that work, like I still think the the party scene with the dance, especially the dance sequence is amazing. That's, oh, that's like the, the height of the movie. Of the movie. Easy. Exactly. Yeah. That's when you're like, I'm watching something special. And then it meanders for another two hours, essentially. Well, that's just it. Like, you could easily cut out an hour, have a very tight version of this movie that just focuses on those high points. I don't think you would even lose that much, narratively speaking, dramatically speaking. Like, there's just so much fat that you can cut yeah, you out. Just, and you, you don't need really something. You don't need both scenes with his former friend and partner. Pick one. It's yeah, the same exactly. point twice. And they're both long scenes. Um, so you could easily do the same with just one. Um, I think they even cut out – oh, you wouldn't have seen it. I was like, there's a couple of scenes they did cut out that were that were fine. But like, again, I, we've made this point already. Um, and even like I, the scene with, with his father is very nice. But because of the visual element to it also maybe goes on too long. Well, they make a really bold choice with the, uh, with the dramatization of that scene and the visual presentation. And it's – I, I kind of like it in a Michelle Gondry kind of way where there's like a whimsical element to it, but there's not enough 
things like that in the movie for it to feel like a consistent choice. Oh, yeah. If it was like a one minute, just like, oh, we're doing something. That's fine. But it's a like solid four or five minute conversation he's having where you're like, I'm a little distracted. Um, it's I, I I think the 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 soldier scene when he meets with the, the, the American um, politician is very good still. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the um, the bringing them back in the uh, immigration scene. Yeah. Works. Well, that's probably the last like really strong bit before it kind of just meanders for a while and then ends. yeah yeah exactly at the point where you're like i should be way more interested in this element of the film this should be the most interesting element of the film but you've 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 come close to losing me like i don't think the movie lost me ever even the three hour and change version but i was there were points especially the the long scene of like the disappearing people i guess both of them there's two of those but the first time you're like oh no we have how much more time left? And you never want to feel that in a long movie. Well, and that's the thing is like there's so many bits where like I'm on the edge of my seat. It's like I don't know what I'm looking at. I don't know what's happening, but I'm really interested in finding out. And then like too much of that back to back to back to back and the individual scenes just lose their meaning because at a certain point you are more focused on the fact that it's still going. And, yeah. it, you know, again, two out of my three favorite movies of the year are like three hours or almost three hours. So sure. length in and of itself is not a problem, but certain kind of stories just benefit from less or more screen time. And yeah. this is definitely one that would have been stronger if, if there was less of it. Yeah. I would have, I should have looked up what the changes were if someone categorized them. Cause I don't know if I'm mixing up. I don't remember what's not in the film. Cause I remember all, I remember the long version, even though I've seen the shorter version more recently. So I'm not quick. For example, how much of the documentary do you see in your version? Or do you see any of it that he shot? I don't remember if you see any of it. Maybe. Okay. Like so maybe that's what they probably do, but I don't the, know like the, sure. the conversation with the guy in prison, right? That's interesting. Cause if you didn't see much or any of that, I, there's a very, there's a fairly long scene of that in the long cut. I mean, like, I don't truth be told, unless it's like one of the scenes we already talked about that really jumped out to us. <laughs> yeah, they're all could, kind of you jumbled. Could go, you could make up some scenes and I wouldn't know for sure whether they were in there or not. Oh, yeah. The scene where he orders a hot also, dog and the hot dog floats away. You're like, yeah. sure. Why not? Well, because it's the kind of movie where like anything goes like yeah. some of the visual choices that it makes are like the ways it dramatizes certain things. It does have that sort of dream logic to it. Which, again, you know, you don't need to watch somebody else's dreams for three hours. It's too much. No, it's inconsistent with that. Well, you, need it, ah, you either needed every scene to be that way, like with the umbilical cord, or it needed to be much more infrequent. So it was like, oh, we're signifying something by having it, as opposed to it felt like every so often he was like, we need something weird. Throw in well, something that's weird. just it. It needed like much more consistently weird or the weird stuff was like a few brief things, but it was like, exactly. it was just the wrong amount, but it's, exactly. it's, you know, I think it'll be a cinematography contender. I definitely wouldn't rule it out as an international fe feature contender. If only because in is very popular with the Academy overall. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, oh, yeah, I, I, told I think if you're interested and you haven't seen it, it'll be on Netflix next month. Definitely give it a look if you're curious, but temper your expectations. I would say. Oh, yeah. Like, you could call it an interesting failure, in a way, or a, like, modest success. Um, I mean the same thing by it. Like, keep your expectations in check, but, you know, this is a filmmaker high up at, in his art. You should 
watch what he has to say, uh, like, even if it, he has very on little one to say. On one hand, I respect what this movie is doing more than, say, The Revenant. Oh, yeah. But but if you asked me which one I want to watch again sooner, it's probably going to be The Revenant. Sure. You're like, maybe I forgot that movie was entertaining. I know this one is like doing a thing, but maybe not necessarily trying to entertain me. Um, I told them at the time that they should do the Cold War approach, director, cinematography, international. Like, that's their best day. Yeah. Well, and I think director even is probably a long shot. But Oh, yeah, no, I think director has, I think if he, he might be in the top 10 just by virtue of like, I don't know how they feel. This also might be their backdoor to having an international director again this year, but it's still the least likely of those three, um, yeah. which is, you know, is what it is. Speaking of movies that do know how to entertain, though. <laughs> I see it. Well done. Well done. I did a well thing. Um, I also got to see, and during its uh, brief one-week uh, theatrical engagement, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. Um, I'm a huge fan of the first film. I think probably more than you are. Fair, um, fair amount. I, I, I was, um, for those who don't know, I like Knives Out. But up until the third act, when, when, when Blanc starts to do his thing, when he's like, okay, I got this, and starts his explanation of how it's all going, I, I was kind of wondering what everyone saw in it. And then I was like, oh, I get it. So I, I actually went in almost skeptical about Glass Onion as opposed to you who went in like drooling essentially. Oh, yeah. Well, listen, in my opinion, Ryan Johnson has not made a bad film or anything even close to a bad film. Yeah, the Brothers Bloom is a little forgettable. That's about it. That's on the lowest end, but even that has a lot to recommend. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I went in with very high expectations here because, you know, he's delivered very consistently. Um, and I think there's an argument to be made. It's, it's either better or at least as good, regardless, the fact that it's close enough to have that conversation kind of speaks volumes. Um, but yeah, this is easily one of the funniest films I've seen all year. Uh, it's a really good new mystery, a really good cast of new characters. Uh, Janelle Monae and Daniel Craig are the scene stealers, but everybody is good. Um, I don't know. There's just so much to it. And uh, it's got a really satisfying. It's got a monologue to rival the donut hole monologue from Knives Out. Mm -hmm. And it builds up to a satisfying conclusion for the mystery itself. But then even more so a satisfying conclusion for the actual story and, you know, the theme sort of behind the movie. Um, You know, beautifully shot. It played really well on the big screen, which is why it's kind of a bummer that most people won't see it that way. It plays all to a crowd, like the crowd gets into Very it. Very well. Well, again, the first one was a runaway hit, I think, because of word of mouth and because it plays very well with an audience. And, you know, uh, Kelly and I saw it opening night. And, yeah, the, the crowd was eating it up. Every time one of the many very effective cameos popped up, there was always a nice little, ah! Oh, yeah, especially uh, like the, the big um, reveals. Well, the big reveal and also, I think, early on when um, when you see who he's playing Among Us with. Yeah, well, that's really good. And also when you find out who his partner is. Yes, which I've seen a bunch of people on Twitter be like, I really hope that's not the last we've seen of that person. What Though, are they playing themselves? Uh, I think the people he's talking to Zoom on are playing yeah. themselves. I don't think his partner is. Well, the, if he was... I think if they give him a, a, a name at one point. Okay, if he's to return, he obviously can't be playing himself. But, right, um, exactly. I, I think his name's like Philip or something like that. That makes sense. 
Yeah, because I, I, but I do love them establishing it in the world of like, no, Benoit Blanc is a very famous detective. Like he has celebrity friends. Um, that was a very cool moment. Um, that was that was a big applause thing, and then just certain comments from the various uh, you know assholes of the of the cast. They're, they, yeah, he does a very good job of again filling the movie with people you like hate, but also really like watching. But also, you kind of. I don't know. You want they're like your your friend you don't like, but you're glad you're friends with them. It's weird. He he has a very very good touch with these things, and also with the mystery. Like you don't feel you don't feel like he like it's cheating in any way. You know, with mysteries, yeah. a lot of times there's no way to guess because it just doesn't follow the logic until they retcon at the end. And here, I feel like most people will probably be right about their guess, especially after the se- in the second half of the movie. Early on, you're you're meant to be very much in the dark. But in the second half, I think it plays very fair with the audience. Yeah. And you can piece it together in a way that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, if, even if you're ahead of the of the characters, you don't feel like you're smarter than the movie. You feel like the movie is allowing you to, like, take the lead. Um, yeah, there well, was very exactly. little about it I didn't like. No, it's – I mean, yeah, it's one of those things like – is it maybe a hair too long? Yeah, but not enough that it's worth complaining about. Like, the 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 repetition of the Mona Lisa thing wasn't my favorite thing in the world. Um, no, I think the payoff to it was very good. But yeah, sure. the, the, less could have probably been more there. But again, that's very nitpicky stuff. Oh, yeah, that's that's like I'm almost looking for something at this point. Exactly. But no, I just think in both this and Knives Out, he does a very good job of, you know, crafting like a murder mystery you know, narrative that would be strong on its own. But then in both movies, there's this little extra wrinkle where suddenly it'll stop and you'll get like a whole boatload of new information that completely recontextualizes everything you've seen up until then. And that's, and that extra layer to it, which in both cases kind of deconstructs the murder mystery aspect of it. Um, The fact that he's two for two and with that is, I think, really impressive. Um, He truly could do it. For the rest of his career, if he wanted to. Well, and it sounds like both he and Daniel Craig would be totally on board for that, which, listen, Godspeed to both of them, because I'm, yeah, I could watch a hundred of these. I am oh, yeah. super I excited think they for will, the third one. They will eventually make something else in between, but I, I'm pretty sure Ryan Johnson's making the third one before he makes a Star Wars, right? Well, if he ever makes I mean, if he Star makes a Star Wars, Wars. but like. I'm very his skeptical next, about that, but. His next project, though, is Knives Out 3, I think. I mean, he's got the TV thing with, um. Um, Natasha Leon. Yeah, that like is in its first season now or coming out. So maybe there's a second uh, season to shoot. Uh, well, it's like a 10 episode thing that's going to Peacock. So I don't know if As it's a, even a might be a one off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, he already did that, I think, like during post on Glass Onion or something like that. But yeah, I was just reading an interview. He was saying they built into the contract with Netflix that he would have time to go make another film in between if he wanted to. But the most excited film for him right now is jumping straight into the third movie, which suggests to me that he has some good ideas already. Well, that's what I wanted to do. And we were going to do it as a full on poll with Steve. But I think it's more fun just to like spitball. That way we don't have to really pay too much attention to our ideas. Um, I want you to pitch me and I'll pitch you your Knives Out 3. He gives you the reins. Where's the where's the hook? Where is it? What's the... What is the mystery? What is the murder mystery? As opposed to like family in the first one, you've got friends on a private island. Like where is the third one for you? I know I remember once some people thought like like Louisiana, like a New Orleans set thing. Uh, where do you think if you had the choice? 
So, and I actually have given this a fair amount of thought. Um, I, I have one as well. I, so my pitch would be, I think uh, it would be cool to set it at like either a film premiere or something around like the production of a film or something like that, specifically like a murder mystery film. And Benoit Blanc is like a consultant on it or something. And then an actual mystery. And so here the connection is that they're all co-workers. Mm. Uh, would you a, uh, a point of difference? Would you believe that my premise is very similar? <laughs> I mean, um, mine, mine is goes that way. <laughs> yeah. Mine is, mine is um, during an Oscar campaign for a film. Oh, perhaps see, the, there you go. Perhaps the fellow nominees and best actress are being murdered or something uh, of that nature. Because um, I can see Benoit Blanc like loving Oscar season. Oh, yeah. Because part like, of the gimmick is – with the celebrities. You get a bunch of famous people to come in and play themselves. Oh, yeah. He needs to feel like vaguely distracted by his surroundings for a little bit. Like everyone needs to think he's a shitty detective before he's the greatest detective. And I think you just need a thing for him to be like, oh, shit. Like – he needs that he's 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 dug from up. He needs like squirrel for a little bit and then he focuses in. Yeah. And I could totally see him at like the Golden Globes or something like that having like the time of his life. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, I lo- I love both of the ideas and, you know, <laughs> ironically we kind of worked around having to cast our films because we just have people playing themselves. Well, I did have one idea for a casting gimmick, and I'm sure it would never go this way, but I think it's worth at least bringing up. I would love to see a cast that's built up entirely of Ryan Johnson alumni. So nice. like, you finally give Joseph Gordon-Levitt a proper role rather than just a va- background voice. Um, you you throw in, you know, Lucas Haas, Emily Blunt, Jeff Daniels, Adrian Brody, Mark Ruffalo, Rachel Weisz, you know, people from The Last Jedi, whoever – um and boom you got a stacked cast in any scenario sure um i was i i thought about some people when we were gonna build it out more but at this point with my cameos and as you said cameos i think the clear answer is you need meryl streep right in this movie fun well meryl streep i think has to be one of the ones playing themselves yeah yeah she has to be one of the other nominees or like she maybe like one of the ones who isn't killed yet and is like incredibly concerned with that I'm sure I'm sure she would want to send up her personality in some way. I don't know what direction, but most of the time they want to play an extreme version of themselves if they're going to play themselves. Exactly. Yeah. But I like both of our versions. Um, Ryan Johnson, you clearly listen to this. Please make that movie. Either one or both. Um, I mean, listen, James Cameron keeps saying he's adding on Avatar movies. Can we add on Knives Out too? Did you see today he said he was up to six. Wouldn't it be amazing if we got six Knives Out movies before we even got to, like, Avatar 3? Uh, that would be great. I'm pretty sure we'll get to three. I think he said, like, they've shot so much of it that, like, it's basically there. I think the question will be, will we ever see four? Depends on I mean, the money. I, I think two will do well because nostalgia, but three will be the real test. Yeah, it depends. on. I, I wonder if you would – this is kind of counterintuitive to how modern box office works, but would you maybe hold three for a couple of years? Let's say next year he's done with three, right? And it would be a um, 24 release. Would you maybe hold it like a year or two just to like build in that like, remember how you liked Avatar, but you don't have Avatar right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the smart move. I think the plan is already to give it two years, but I, I agree. I would give it a bit more because like I mean, two years is you the don't standard want it- now. People expect two years. 
one, you don't want it stepping on Dune's toes. You know, eventually we're going to get another Star Wars. So you want it to breathe just a little bit, because I think Star Wars definitely ran into a problem of too many things back to back, and it kind of ran out of steam. Too many things, and it it happened to have a misfire. That was the excuse for people to be like, oh, we're done. Or, like, we don't have to think of you in the same way anymore. If Solo had been great, I think we would have avoided a little bit. But I'm, I'm not upset that we don't get two Star Wars movies a year right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, to, to be clear, I prefer it that way. But also, I think they, they, they came out so strong with the spinoffs and the new trilogy right up bat. But then they, like, yeah, like Solo underperformed and Rise of Skywalker was just bad. And it just kind of... Like they keep hiring and firing people. Patty Jenkins was going to do that Rogue Squadron movie, and now that's still not want happening. that that thing going on on Twitter. It, but I, I don't know where it was like pitch your Star Wars movie in one tweet. I really just wanted to be like Rogue Squadron, but they make it. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. Or like love I those games love to see. The, I would have loved to see the Lord and Miller version of Solo. Like they sure. started a lot of interesting things, but then with the exception, ironically, of Ryan Johnson, who appears to more or less have been allowed to make the movie he wanted to make. Um, everyone else, it feels like they've been messed with a little bit. True. Um, let me, uh, do, do your other movie before Fableman's and then I'll talk about the movie that I saw. Um, sure. So we'll, we'll go, we'll go out on two, uh, bigger ones because the one that you're going to talk about also leads us into a, a little bit of a game that we've played. Oh yes, of course. Well, got to yes. tee that up. Um, well, so not counting the Fablemans, the other big one I saw was Devotion. Um, also one I don't have a ton to say about. I liked it. I think it's solid. It's fine. It's very, you know, sturdily made. I think Jonathan Majors and Glenn Powell are both like very much movie stars in the making and their sort of chemistry and camaraderie and just, you know, strong, you know, lived in performances are the reason to see it. I really Um, liked um glenn powell's kind of withholding in the movie like he didn't go for the big movie star moments in a way that i think someone else might have like he very clearly wanted to make sure he was never front and center it's very unshowy yeah yeah which is its own thing especially when you watch him in you know everybody wants some in top gun maverick and um set it up on netflix like you know he is a charismatic as fuck actor so to just play like a very low-key like good dude is is more of a performance than I think people are giving it credit for. Though Jonathan Majors is better. No, let's not like forget that part. Sorry, go on. Yeah, no, uh, very much so. Um, the dog fights are few and far between, and they're good. But unfortunately, they do. There are inevitable comparisons to the other fighter pilot movie that came out this year, and yeah, it, it it, no contest. It it doesn't hold up in that department. But that's not the kind of movie it's trying to be either. Um, I think it has some really interesting things to say about, you know, that period in time and the racial dynamics are a bit more nuanced than I was expecting. Sure. Um, and I think it, it has some things to say about like allyship and, you know, what it means to, you know, be there for someone. I think also probably a little too long, more so in the front. I think it takes a little while to get going before it really finds a good once once they are on leave, they're good. Like from there on, it's pretty smooth sailing. It's getting to that point where you're like, okay, this is taking a little long to start, I, essentially. I would even say you can cut the whole subplot and can out. Like, you certainly get, could. I get that it's all a build up to the one fight that happens, but I think there's a much simpler way to get there. Oh, you didn't need the fight. That was. I, well, that I think was the fight cliche. is okay. I don't think you need Elizabeth Taylor. 
I think I that like, whole bit is completely Oh, it doesn't it means nothing. It's just it's a pleasant like it's a little bit of comedy in a movie that's mostly serious. Yeah, but um, it's like and I get that it's probably they put it in there cuz it was a real thing that happened or whatever. Sure. But also like there's not much of a story there. It's just like, oh, they met Liz Taylor and they went to a party and then they left the party. Like, she kind of she kind of had the hots for them. It sounds it's like as if the family was like, guys, our our grandparents like we could they could have had Elizabeth Taylor. We're not going to let you not tell this part of the story. Um, I guess, but there's it just doesn't seem like there's that much to tell. No, no, no. I I if listen, if it had been a deleted scene, I would have been like, what a cool deleted scene. But yeah, I also would have you know exhausted at tiff i would have not hated if that wasn't there even though i did like the scene after that they're very much on smooth ground and i will say i really liked um thomas sadowski as the uh their like commanding officer yeah again just playing like a like a good dude and and those roles are usually like very underwritten as just like the loud guy who curses um and i do like that they made him like no like what if one of those guys became the guy in charge you know thoroughly thoroughly a good dude but also able to be the boss like it was it was almost refreshing like to the point where i was very concerned about him dying because i was just like i like him like he's he's who you want as your boss yeah as opposed to you know so many of these other guys who would just scream and be like you're, you're supposed to die and if you don't die you did something wrong and like you know the the those parts that are showy but also not very good in a lot of these movies i thought that was an under sort of underrated portion of the movie but yeah it's it's a it's a solid old-fashioned movie. Yeah. I I was not familiar with how the true story goes, so I didn't quite expect the ending to be quite as sad as it was. Yeah. And I, I do think, without giving anything away, there is a little undercurrent in the last few scenes where it's a lot of like, oh, it's okay, Glenn Powell, you did the best job that you could, and this is all about making you feel better. There's a yeah. little bit of that that you – that like – then you see that he was an executive producer on the film and it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. But it's, it's a just very, so you know, guys, I'm good too. It's a very minor thing, but it also, I think maybe, I, I don't know. I don't know what I would have done differently. It's, it's one of those things that keeps the movie good where it could have been great potentially. Totally. Um, let's talk about my movie for a second. Um, I don't know where you stand on this one. I feel like you're you're not like the most looking forward to it, but I also don't think you are like necessarily opposed to it. I saw Emancipation. Uh yeah, I don't know where I stand on this myself. Exactly. How was it? Um <laughs> maybe I'll know by the end. <laughs> I think for so the movie's about two hours and fifteen minutes. I would say for the first two acts, I was borderline thumbs down. Because I've seen like a slave be mistreated and I've seen a slave on the run and it's, you know, there's a very interesting, if you saw the trailer, there's a very interesting color palette being used. It's very washed out, like one shade off black and white a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's effectively made. Um, hey, it's Antoine Fuqua, you know, um, boy, I'm glad we didn't like, I was thinking about that. I was like, wow, we've had a lot of conversations about him in non Oscar centric fare. Um, but it's, it doesn't, it comes very close to and I and I don't mean this in a in a negative way. I just not not a negative way, but I just I, I mean it in the sense of I, I why was this movie made? It felt like tragedy porn for a while. And in the way that like you were almost concerned with Twelve Years a Slave doing, like will there be a redeeming feeling to this? And not like to the story, but is there a reason I'm going to watch this man suffer? Right. And I 
I wasn't getting it for most of the movie. And the third act is, uh, do you know anything about Peter, about the, about the picture? Not specifically, no. Yeah, they, so the third act introduces some information and events that I did not know happened. And that was a real change of pace to me. It saved the movie for me um, in a way that – did you see Harriet? Uh, no, I heard about some of the changes that they made and I was immediately put off. Sure. Do you, did someone tell you what the, um, what the end, you know, like the text on screen says at the end of Harriet? Not specifically. That like she became like a soldier, like, like she was like leading like soldiers in war. Oh, is it one of those things where that sounds way more interesting? Yeah, she was like a spy and shit by the end. You know, like, yeah, show me. Well, that's what I assumed it was going to be. (laughs) So that was a little put off when they discovered that it's not really. No, she's like mostly on the run and like trying to help people avoid capture, but not in like a badass superhero way in a yeah. like spirits are kind of telling you what and and thankfully emancipation gives you the third act of what would have been on screen text um, of where the character goes basically once the picture is taken and i was so happy for that because it just changes the pace of the movie um and that that really saved the day will smith is pretty good i think if this was pre-slap and this is what came out instead of king richard he probably would have won the oscar for it um, I'm fairly sure he won't be nominated just because there's enough people who won't consider him. Um, in fact, he kind of said that in his recent like press rounds. Like, I get it that you're not going to vote for me, but like, don't hold it against the rest of the movie. I don't know where the movie is going to go. Like, Ben Foster is good, but he, you know, it's kind of a one note, like, going to hunt him down and kill him evil guy. The direction's fine. I don't love the script. It, it, it goes back a few times more than I need to his uh, his wife back home. And unless you've really established those characters that ultimately is time wasted and doesn't really serve the actress. And that was the case here, but it's, it's not, it's not in any stretch of bad movie. It's not a great movie, but it's good enough that I understand why they were willing to take the risk as opposed to it's a bad movie. I'm like, we're just get it out and take the hit. Now I think they think the movie is good enough to withstand the, like, you know, why, why should we care about a Will Smith movie right now? That, and they needed a movie this year. Apple and they just it was probably further along than Ridley Scott's or um there's a third one they have that I don't remember oh um Scorsese's movie which is apparently still editing so I you know more than one reason why that happened but I I wouldn't be shocked if you didn't see it but it also it'll be on Apple so I wouldn't be shocked if it just managed to happen to turn on your TV one day and be playing it yeah I'm gonna kind of see how I feel I think whenever it's out but yeah I- I'd be lying if I said it's a movie I'm going to prioritize. No, and I think most people won't is the thing. I think um, there are there are people in the industry who are very keen to rehab Will Smith for him. And sure, why not? I don't I don't really have a strong opinion anymore about that. I'm I'm glad there was some sort of penalty, but I also don't need to like shun the man forever. So like, yeah, well, medium. And I I do want to make it clear that any decision I make about whether I do or don't end up seeing Emancipation. Will Smith's whole thing, that's not really a factor in my decision. It's no. more, does this movie look like something I'm going to be able to sit through without just feeling miserable? Exactly. Um, because at and a certain degree, I just don't look for that anymore. It's so no. it's too much. Um, and that's but, why- but I'm I'm not opposed to seeing him in more stuff. I think, you know, anyone who's still like, you know, clutching their pearls about it needs to get over themselves. Um, it It happened. It's not a great thing that it happened. It's almost a year ago. Like, 
it, it's time to move on. Exactly. Like, like the, the, the amount of things that should be happening to him still about this is minimal. Like if he, it, when didn't the Academy like ban him from the show for like 10 years or something like there's something that's happened. Like, I'm sure he feels adequately bad about it or is a very good actor in faking it. But like at a certain point, this can't be what you're worried about anymore. But at the same time, I don't think he needs a sort of crusade on his side. Like he wasn't like, it's not this mistreated like hero. He did a thing like he doesn't need to serve a life sentence for it. But a thing happened. So I'm very much in the middle of like, I've seen a couple people like do interviews and be like, I specifically didn't ask about it. I'm like, but that's, I mean, not I think they even said, because I wanted it, like, sometimes we need to protect these guys. I'm like, but you don't. It's not your job. Like, you cannot ask it because it's a little gauche at this point to be like, remember that super embarrassing thing that happened? But I, I don't know that you need to, like, shield the man from it. He's also, like, one of the most famous people on the planet. He's fine. So, we'll see. I, I would say 60-40, you don't see the movie. But if you do, you also, if you watch it at home, could always fast forward through it. But... I'm, I'm, again, not trying to sell you on it, but it is Robert Richardson cinematography. Okay. And and it is, like like I said, like one shade off black and white. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. It's fine. It's upper middle uh, Fuqua. Well, sometimes that's enough. Well, yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll get back to that filmography again where we mostly went like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, he really is like the, the epitome of the like middle of the road workman director that makes a film that we're fine with. Yep, very much so. Yep. Um, just like the filmmaker we're about to talk about, right? Um, I would say I'm that would be sarcastic. selling this, this filmmaker short, but yeah. <laughs> you, you don't think this newcomer to the scene is, uh, has got some promise? Oh, you know, maybe one day he'll make something of himself. I hope so. You want to you talk about it now? Yeah, so I saw The Fablemans. Uh, we're nice. About Spielberg. Um, it, this Sammy, is, Sammy Fableman. Sammy Fableman. Um, this is one of those movies where like, I was always going to see it, but I would be hard pressed to say I was necessarily excited for it. I think it's just one of those things where it's not the kind of movie that normally resonates much with me. Where did you fall on Belfast? I liked Belfast, but I also didn't spend much time thinking about Belfast after the fact. Sure. I I, I enjoyed it in the moment and that was kind of where I left it outside of awards chatter. Totally. Uh, um, this one I really liked. I think yeah. it's probably my favorite Spielberg movie since maybe Minority Report. It might um, be my favorite movie of the year, the more I think about it. Wow. I mean, it, it cracked my top 10 for sure. Like, it's it's very good stuff. And um, there's there's parts of it that, you know, I can nitpick at. I do think it probably runs a little long. And I think... It's juggling so many subplots that sometimes the the pacing can feel or not even the pacing, but it can feel a little unfocused at times. It's um, it's a movie that was edited by a 90 year old man. It's not it's not it's taking its time and it's made by a, a director. I think is like I've earned the right to tell this exactly the way I want to. And you're going to sit with me. And oh, totally. Right, totally. And, oh, yeah. And there are sometimes scenes where you're like, I there was an enjoyable scene, but like not like the most essential, but then you'll get like the scene with Judd Hirsch and like, no, please, this is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so listen, um, and I'd heard a lot about Judd Hirsch and he has got the one scene that steals movie and it's up there for sure. It's a very good monologue, very good scene. 
Uh, the best performance for me, though, was Paul Dano. I think mm. he absolutely knocked it out of the park in a role that I was expecting was going to be a lot more subdued or a lot more sort of in the background because, you know, Spielberg and I, dads. I think Spielberg and dads. Exactly. I mean, I think there was definitely an expectation, you know, when you see how absentee fathers are kind of treated in his filmography that we're going to get something similar here. But I think. What's beautiful about this film is that it's the kind of film that he couldn't have made 10, 20, 30 years ago. Like you can feel a certain maturity and a certain sophistication with the way he's telling the story where he understands his parents. He understands his parents and what they were going through, I think, a lot more than maybe he would have if he had made it like in the 80s or 90s. Not that he probably would have. Not that he would have. But like, oh, he would have sided with his mom in the the 80s and 90s. Yeah, and I think he kind of he comes to a bit more of a balanced understanding of both of them. And like, you know, without giving anything away, there's a a conversation that the character, the Spielberg equivalent character has with the dad. uh, That's like the last scene uh, with the dad that feels like a conversation that maybe never happened in real life, but is a conversation that is now happening with the benefit of sort of hindsight and, you know, looking back and wishing this was a conversation that happened or something like that. Not to pry too much into the man's personal affairs, but also he's taking his personal affairs and putting them on the big screens. So, I mean, he literally know. called it therapy. Yeah. So, you know, maybe fair game. Which, boy, did he get to have some fun with his bullies. Yeah. Well, the bullies are kind of... They represent the lows and the highs for me, because I think the whole thing about the, you know, him being bullied and targeted for being Jewish, it's interesting and it's definitely worth exploring, but it's also introduced so late into the film and it feels like there should have been some sort of build up to it getting to that point. And I understand that it's a storytelling necessity of, you know, where he's living because he moves a few times and, you know, I'm sure in the real life stories that it's replicated on, it didn't start till then, but it's just suddenly such a big focus of the film when the film's got like 30 minutes left to go. that yeah. it's, it's a bit of a, uh, a narrative sort of sharp turn. I would argue worth it for introducing the girlfriend. Well, the girlfriend, yes, the, uh, the, the scene in the girl's friend's bedroom is one of the funniest scenes of the year. It's, uh, this is what I was talking about. It's, it's horny Spielberg actually. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. Well, I think there's just something so clever about the way that it's played, and it's played completely straight. Yeah. Um, but just seeing just how far it goes is really, really funny. It makes um, me think it had to have happened, right? It's so specific. Yeah, no, I think it totally did. I mean, maybe exaggerated, but yes. Um, yeah. And I think that, and what I was going to say about the bullies is that even though, like, obviously they're played a little, you know, high-strung, as often is the case with these things, I think the it's worth it for the payoff of yes. that scene in the hallway with the one bully is I think the best scene in the movie, because there's something about the journey that that bully goes on over the course of that conversation and getting to see him sort of figure out some things about himself in real time and just where they leave it off. It's just, I don't know. There's some real emotional maturity happening throughout the film um, and there's even the sly little, like, you know, I'll never tell anyone about this. I mean, unless I put it in a movie, which I'll yeah. never do. But also there's the, the kind of acknowledgement of like, that's literally what we're watching right now. Oh, yeah. That's that was that was what I thought about when I was like, up until then, 
you know, because he even said in the Q&A, like, you know, it wasn't there was a, there was a bully or two, but it wasn't necessarily as major as he made it. He's like, it was an element, but that was a theme I wanted to explore. Um, so I don't know. There may not have been like two bullies or like that guy. What might have been that way that maybe that conversation didn't happen. But I love that he inserted into it like, yeah, yeah, like 50 years later. I'm well, I, I calling you don't. out. Yeah. Well, and I definitely don't want to give away the last scene and the last shot, but combined also together, perfect. very perfect. And I think more to the point, there's a certain playfulness to it that I feel like maybe has been missing from a lot of Spielberg's recent filmography, where stuff is like, he's still, he knows how to make a funny moment or a funny movie, but like, I don't know, something feels a little heavier than maybe it had earlier in his career. Yeah. Um, whereas, he like, couldn't have done that last films. scene. Yeah, the, the cameo. exactly. Um, which which is, I definitely don't want to give away, but is no, very, very good. It's not even like a major spoiler, but there's something fun about it. Just everyone's still, expecting the movie to end. I want to ruin the reveal for people. Oh, exactly. The reveal and it comes right as you expect the movie to be over. And yeah. you're like, wait, we're still going? And you're oh, no, no. Worth it. Definitely worth it. Worth it. It's, um, it's probably my favorite cinematic thing that individual has ever done. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, for you, it's not hard. Yeah. Um, good advice also, by the way. Very much so. Well, and you see the advice put into practice literally in the last yeah, shot. Literally, literally immediately. It's it's, it's hilarious. Um, yeah, that's perfect. So, yeah, I, I, Fableman's very, very high on it. It's the best picture front runner right now, which immediately sets off warning signs in my head because I think yeah. about like where Belfast was around this time last year. Um, so we'll see how that translates. But um, if it did end up winning best picture, I would not be mad at it at all. No, it would be a lovely winner. Um, I do like that both parents get moments where you just watch their expressions. And obviously, Michelle Williams has the bigger one in the closet watching the, the, the movie. Yeah. But which I forgot that that was how that scene was played until the second time, that it's just her expression as she realizes and that's, she understands. Yeah, that's, that's the, that may be the high point of her performance. I think for all the pre-movie chatter about that. I think I was maybe expecting a bit more. I don't – she's not bad in it because she's always good, but she's been so much better in other things. Fair. That I, especially now that she's going lead, I absolutely see a world where she doesn't even get nominated. And I, I think, think there – I think – yeah, it could the, – the permutations are wild for her. She could win. She could be five. She could wind up eight and not even close. Like, I just don't know how they're going to feel about it. Like, as a supporting performance, yeah, it would kind of be a slam dunk because it's that type of thing. But the watching then, it the second... I, frankly, I even if she was going supporting, I think there's a world where she doesn't get nominated there. Like, it's possible. If she got nominated, she wouldn't be my favorite to win right now. Um, Maybe. I mean, I, I do I, think watching it a second time, I think I, I get her as the lead more. Like, her point of view is very important to this movie. Yes and no. I think it's still definitely supporting. I think it's it falls into that territory of the main characters played by two different actors and like sure. parents are front and center and more established actors. So it's it's sort of that family balance that you often see in like a boyhood or whatever else. Yeah. Um. So like she's front and center for sure, but like I don't know. She's she's making some big choices, and I think some of them land better than others. Like I think the, dance, she's, the dancing in the front of the car, and I think the the scene in the yeah, closet, you know, the the fight that she has with him. I think there's some really good stuff there. But I think well, when he carries her into the house, her expression that's also a very good scene. That's that's a, a highlight of both of their performances. Yeah. I think 
Oh, that, just think, that still image of the two of them. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, no, that well, and that communicates everything so beautifully. Um, he has been talked about a lot, but Seth Rogen, I think, does some of his best work here. Oh, yeah. Uh, r- really understated, although he still sneaks in a Seth Rogen laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that I, I mean, I can vouch for having talked to him at Toronto. It's just how he laughs. So I think that's just part and parcel. I love that. Again, could have been the villain. You know, and but oh yeah, in a less sophisticated movie, he absolutely would have been. But I think they they find a really good balance with that character. Oh yeah, it's it's again like you're saying the maturity of Spielberg now. Look back and go, I, I get it. Like whatever, because he you know he he inserts the anger that he that he felt towards Benny, but never lets you think that it's proper. Like you're you're meant to be like, don't you understand like obviously Sammy doesn't at the time, but like, don't you understand what's going on? Which has that very lovely scene with the camera where like, Rogan's yeah, essentially I, I like, I may really never talk good. to you again. I need to, I need to say what I need to say, even if you don't want to listen. Yeah, exactly. No, I thought that was really well played. Oh, yeah. um, that said, man, like nothing against Seth Rogen, but imagine getting cucked by Seth Rogen. Yeah. Like right in your face for years. Like, God, like you feel so bad for Paul Dano. And there's multiple scenes where like he's trying to get into the conversation and they're just talking to each other. And it's like, oh, <laughs> but that's what makes too. and that's what makes Dano's performance so great that he then, you know, has his moment of explaining, like, I, I love your mother. Like, I want her to be happy. Like, yeah. and we have a, we have our story. Like, there's so much that goes back to storytelling in this movie, whether it's him talking about their story, which is this very subtle moment that you're like, Oh, that's a, that's something that has stayed with the, you know, whether, like you said, whether that conversation have or not has stayed with Spielberg over the years, the idea of that, as well as, um, with the bully where they're, where the bully and him are kind of both realizing what a, what film can do the story, the narrative you can craft, like the power you essentially have to shape reality to whatever you want it, the reality you want the world to be. Yeah. Uh, which God knows he's, One thing I thought was really cool about how they displayed sort of his growing love for film is like how he would discover like certain elements or like work on different elements, like from one scene to another. So like, you know, he's figuring out, you know, how to make the bullet holes happen with like the holes through the film strip or like he's figuring out like how he's going to do certain, you know, locations or special effects or like getting the extras to run from one side of the screen to the other and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, but it's like I poked a hole in the film. You're just like, oh, my God, that's amazing. But then at one point, he there's a whole scene where he's like discovering the impact that a performance can have. And he's like directing this guy who like was not expecting to do any acting when he got there that day and like ends up like creating a really emotional moment towards the end of what would otherwise just be sort of standard issue war film. Which also is just great because we we've heard about that war film he made, you know, as a as a boy, and he kind of shows us a little bit of it. I thought that was pretty cool, getting to see a little escape to nowhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh yeah. So we both loved it. It will be on. I would imagine remain on your top ten. But you uh, never know. It, it it is on the outer edge, so it depends on how the All rest right. of the year goes. We'll see. Um, what do you think? As I tee up our game to end, I'm sorry, we forgot to ask for questions, guys. We'll do more next week. Um, what do you think Armin White thought of this movie? Well, not to you, ruin the lead, but I happen to know exactly what he thought of this movie. And he has it's a... It's unhinged. He, it may be his most unhinged take yet. Not even because of the film especially, but just because of 
how wildly off base he is. Like, there's there's not even like a loose tangent to where you can kind of see how he could live in a reality that maybe gets you from A to B. Here it's like he's going from A to negative Z and there's no like train of logic to get where he is. Yeah. So uh should we talk about the rea- here, so we'll do we'll do both first and then we'll get into a, a mini version of uh did Armin White like it? Which we never really settled on a name. Doesn't matter. Well, because uh, Whiter Wright has a yeah. I just don't want that one. to it. Yeah, um, yeah. So he wrote an article called "The Bombing of Spielberg," which just factually not accurate, but okay. Um, so he says failing to draw many ticket buyers, grossing just over two million dollars across the country. Um, I would just throw out in limited release, but that doesn't fit his narrative. Indicates that maybe Spielberg's once infallible pop instincts are now defective. So far. I don't think you're with him, but you're like, okay, right? You you haven't, no alarm bells off yet. Not quite, yeah. Spielberg's latest collaboration with playwright Tony Kushner suffers several crucial miscalculations like last week she said flop. So again, we're just also getting pissed at him because we like these movies he hates. But here's where it happens. Ever since Lincoln, 2010, um, even though it came out in 2012, but facts are not important in this paragraph spielberg's formerly ecumenical perspective has become politically slanted you know largely apolitical steven spielberg of course he's never made a movie about anything political no did he hope that the current oh god i can't believe this in sense did he hope that the current craze for non-binary gender identities would make the collapse of the family unit in the fablemans comply with the blm charter or make it suddenly become popular I've I've read and reread that sentence so many times, and I cannot on any level wrap my head around what he thinks he's saying there. Well, would you like to hear his uh, pull quote on Rotten Tomatoes? Because he uh, he was rotten. 93% Rotten Tomatoes. You probably could have guessed that was coming. Shocker. The Fableman seems to hedge its dramatic risks as if muting the heartache and thousand natural shocks that marriage and adulthood are heir to, then trading that guilty consciousness for facile teasing about Spielberg's career and professional legend. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, it didn't didn't do anything. It somehow made me understand it less. Yeah, it didn't read yeah, not a lot of clarity uh, there. No. Um well, do you remember what the last time we did? What was the last movie we did of his? Uh, it's been a minute. Probably did, probably did we do Amsterdam. No, I don't think we did that recent. Amsterdam, blonde, bro. Okay, so we'll start around here. I think we did The Woman King, right? Yeah, that may have been on the last time we did it. Okay. Um, all right, let's start with this one. Did Armin White like Don't Worry Darling? Maybe. Maybe he did. Did you? Um, I mean, I had fun with it, but it's not a good movie. I know. I just want people to know where you stand compared to Armin White. <laughs> Uh, Don't Worry Darling is a shopper's paradise for filmgoers indifferent to current crises and clueless about bygone social standards. Uh, you didn't like okay. it. Okay, I wasn't I wasn't clear there. <laughs> yeah, I, I like I like to pause when it still could go either way before he like makes his choice. Well you finished and it could have still gone either way. That's true. Uh that was also kind of Don't Worry Darling, so I don't necessarily disagree with not liking it. His take, however, is bonkers. Did Armin White like bros? No way. <laughs> it's probably his least favorite film of the year. 
There's a chance. Um, yeah. Bros pretends to satirize Bobby's fear of commitment, but the contempt Eichner showed to his on-the-street video victims has not been transformed into charm. So he just doesn't like Billy Eichner for some reason. The contempt. I like that. <laughs> yeah, the contempt. Um, did Armin White like Blonde? Maybe. You think he was into a woman suffering? Maybe. It's, it seems like the kind of artsy-fartsy thing that's, like, mean-spirited enough for him to latch on to. You think it'll be, like, on his better-than list? Is like, Blonde is better than... And the Fablemans. Yeah, yeah. Some, yeah, well, duh. Um, Andrew Dominic overinflates his subject as if he never met an actual person. <laughs> Spoken by someone who's never met an actual person. Ignoring how Monroe calculated her career and contrived the unique acting style that mesmerized the world, so he not, he has to, like, neg Marilyn Monroe. He resorts to the visual equivalent of psychobabble. The vi- okay. <laughs> he he managed to neg Marilyn Monroe in the middle of his critique of the movie. <laughs> While also like Saying, pretending to support Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Uh, Fascinating. Did Armin White like Yeah. Did Armin White like did uh, that's not say that five times fast. Did Armin White like Amsterdam? Yes. Cause it would be well, so perfectly contrarian of him. True. Um Despite Russell's being our cleverest satirist. Okay. So just keep that in mind. David O. Russell, the most clever of satirists. Amsterdam succumbs to the worst ideas now affecting our nation. Wonderfully humane as it is, Amsterdam can't surmount the prevailing sense of failure. Um, And just by the way, guys, the worst ideas now affecting our nation are anti-Semitism. Being against that. What? Is what the movie... Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that there's essentially like a plot to overthrow FDR and replace him with like a, a a Nazi essentially in the movie. You know, our worst ideas. Yeah, gosh. Did Armin White like Black Adam? Uh, I hope not because if he liked it, I'm going to feel really weird about the fact that I like it. That you love it, kind of. Borderline. (laughs) We now know so much about the the behind-the-scenes content-making and celebrity that Black Adam's attempt to exploit the political moment and audience taste is insultingly obvious. Fair. What political moment takes place in Black Adam? (laughs) Um... There's... Yeah, right? I I mean, I... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) He found the politics of it somehow. If it's there, Armin White like Trump. Oh yeah, or even if it's not, I think we did Triangle of Sadness. Sounds familiar, right? Okay, so we'll skip that one. Did Armin White like Armageddon Time? No. This is poisoned nostalgia. (laughs) Gray's semi-autobiographical apology tour, part of liberal Hollywood's progressive project that would have Americans remake themselves by condemning their past. So remember, America's never done anything bad. Nope, never ever. We should always be proud of everything our country has done. Um, For those who don't know who Armin White is, he sounds like like Donald Trump, right? Like, like, but knowing big words. Like, just babbling about all the wrong opinions. Miles, do you know who Armin White is? 
Uh, he's a black gay man. Yes. Again, the apology tour for America, who is who have notably treated homosexuals and African Americans particularly well, right? No notes at all in the history of American society, right? Of course. No. Um, see also most of American history for alternate sides to that. It, I mean, as we've said, he writes for National Review. This is a game. But also, can you imagine putting those words out of your mouth? Or on, even for money? Or onto the page, for that matter. That's true. Did Armin White like tar? I feel like if he did like it, he's one of those people who misunderstood the scene where she's fighting with the student. Yeah, that's that's her that's her champion moment. Yeah, it's like oh oh, right. Tara is an anti woke icon. This is one of his best ones. I got to tell you. Oh, I'm excited. When Kate Blanchett, the phoniest actress Oof. since Meryl Streep, <laughs> okay. <laughs> teams up with Field in his latest film, Tar. The result is a histrionic wingding. Wingding? Wingding. From the phoniest actress since Meryl Streep, also a notably phony actress. That is so loaded. Oh my god. Wingding! I can't... (laughs) It's wingding. It's really... it's, It's the use of wingding, right? You know how, like... Part of the mystery in Glass Onion, without giving anything away, part of the way that Benoit Blanc figures it out is because somebody keeps using the wrong words or, like, making up words or using them incorrectly. Yeah. Uh, That is – that is what's going on here because whatever wingding means doesn't make sense here. Yeah, yeah. Wingding is a lively event or party. I don't even know. Oh. Great. Um, did Armin White like Black Panther Wakanda forever? No. <laughs> that was fast. Um, has any other social group ever had its history diminished to comic book trivia and then encouraged to take that insult as a compliment? Is that his pull quote? <laughs> yeah. Oh. All of you oh. who feel pride in seeing a hero who looks like you, you should feel ashamed that you feel this way. For this Marvel wingding. Incredible. Uh, wingding. We're going to have to reference wingding next week and see if Steve actually listens to the edit. Don't hold your breath. Love you, Steve. That's true. No, he, he, he'd be wrong to listen to all of this. <laughs> You're all wrong to listen to this, but you've made your bed. Now listen to it. Did Armin White like she said? No. Guess the poll quote. Uh, something about, you know, the liberal agenda of wanting to hold abusers accountable or whatever. It's not even that good. What a freakish, freakishly long, humorless, and bizarre movie. So he wanted it shorter and funnier. <laughs> he told She Said, Why Don't You Smile More? Oh. Oh, Art. He did. He found a way to do it. If anyone would. Yep. And uh, last one. Did Armin White like Sydney, the documentary about Sydney Poitier? Probably not. So you're saying he didn't like anything we talked about today? 
I mean, until he proves me wrong. Yeah, you'd be right. He's memorialized as an artist activist and significant only for that. The doc is angled toward how Oprah wants us to see Poitiers and herself. <sighs> okay. <laughs> what, whatever, never whatever man. <laughs> never change, Armin White. Never change. He is a... Uh, Truly our greatest American. He is something. That's for Just sure. ask him. Just ask him. Yeah. Um, let's uh, let's call it an episode. Um, next week. Uh, what's what's playing for you uh, this weekend? Because next week I will be talking about Avatar and um, Babylon, which I should have seen by now. But I, I was I, out of town and then just picked a, you know, it's a three hour movie, guys. I picked I picked the screen that wouldn't just make my life miserable. I'm sorry. I'll wait a week. Um, well, I'm going to see Violent Night tomorrow, which I'm very excited about. Um, nice. I was supposed to see it on Monday, but then I moderated that Q&A. Also, I heard it's fine. I've heard mostly very but, good things about it. I think I'm, let's, let me check. Is, is there a Rotten Tomato score? Because I, I heard someone not like it, but it's also not his type of movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping it's, I was actually contemplating maybe going to see it this weekend. Just as like a fun thing to do with friends. Eh, 73%. Yeah, I mean, for what it is, like, you don't expect high art. Yeah, well, I mean, you. I think you you maybe like Tommy Workle a little more than the average person, right? Um, I mean, I like Dead Snow. I don't know about the rest of his filmography. I think it's mostly just Dead Snow. Well, I know there's like of notable things. and Gretel and Dead Snow 2, neither of which I've seen. So fair I'm, enough. I'm pretty neutral um, on it. But I, I mean, I know he's capable of being good. Um, True. He makes a wild movie. So, yeah, I'll be seeing that, and then I'll probably try and catch up with Bones and all, and that's kind of all I'm going to have going on, it looks like. So, you, uh, just trying to think. You saw, so, you saw the menu, right? Yeah. Last yeah, two we, weeks ago. We, we, we talked, talked about, about it, yeah, last episode. I'm just trying to, like, I'm just looking at, like, what I think I've, of note is, like, hanging around for you. I think not next week, but the week after, I'm going to be able to do, like, Empire of Light and maybe even The Whale. Um, cool. Um, I think... Women talking is going to be later on in the year. Yeah, I think so. Um, um, I'm I also think they actually just changed going to be out of town for two weeks in December, so there'll be a good chunk of time where I won't be able to watch anything. Fair. Um, so, like, and, I probably uh, won't see Babylon until January. That's fine. I, I feel like you're maybe more okay with that now than you might have been a couple weeks ago. I yeah I yeah you're like. Maybe it'll surprise. Um, also, like the rest of the world, you didn't see Strange World. No, and that's a pity because I was initially looking forward to it, but I've heard almost exclusively bad things, and it just seems like something that you know you could wait two months and watch it on Disney Plus. Which totally, I have the I have the 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 link awards wise, so I will you know at some point take it in because. I actually don't think I've seen the trailer even, so I'm kind of curious to, like, just go in blind on a big, like, Disney movie. Um, at this point, by the way, I'm just waiting to hope that Smile gets sent to me as a screener. Oh, yeah. I still haven't seen it. Um, I'm looking at the box office. No, I don't think there's anything, like, necessarily out right now that you would um, may- be missing so far. I think you kind of hit the... The, the big the notable points, yeah. Yeah, I'm giving it one more look as we wrap up. Unless Lyle Lyle Crocodile is really up there at your alley. Kelly's been trying to sneak us in for the past few months, but I won't have it. That's kind of funny. Um, 
I mean, I probably could have got her a link if she wanted to interview someone from it. <laughs> uh, that's see, that's a good way you could put her to work if she wants to see some of these things you don't want to see. There you go. Yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll do our double features Just how and much. explain to each other what we missed. Exactly. Um, so you know, we'll see. I'll keep I'll keep out a lookout for if there's anything that we're we're missing. But yeah. Um, so wrap up. Say where you can be followed, and you know what title your 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 knives out sequel. Oh God. Um. All right. Well, you can find me on both Twitter and Letterboxd at Miles on Film. That's M Y L E S on Film. Uh, I'm also a little bit more active on Instagram now, so you can find me there at Marvelous Miles. Um, you can also find my short films on YouTube. Uh, there is, uh, oh God, see, I broke, I broke it. Now I can't get back to it. I say the same thing every week, but as soon as I try and deviate, it all falls apart. Uh, you can find my short films on YouTube. Uh, there's American Exorcist, which is under Aftershock Pictures and Once Upon a Dracula, which is under Chase Capo. Uh, check out my writing for both Awards Radar and Looper. Uh, for my film premiere set knives out sequel lights, camera action. I don't know. I don't have anything more clever than right now. Fair enough. Um, you can find me at, uh, Joey Magazine, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, letterbox. Um, I'm never going to get a Snapchat. I'm, I'm a, a TikTok, just throwing that out there. But, um, Robert, Robert Hamer has, uh, disbanded from Twitter and is actually pretty active on TikTok. So give him a, a follow over there. He actually did a couple of cool things with the with the site. He did a like things he see he saw. Did he like it more or less than I did? Um, so he's doing some interesting stuff with there. I'm just going to be an old man about that. Um, Awards Radar is on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, so you can find us doing that stuff. Um, for my title, I'm going to go with mm, False Idol: A Knives Out Mystery. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. There, so there was a um, award season murder mystery podcast that I listened to a couple episodes ago, uh, of. It didn't like blow me away, but it was called Just to Be Nominated, and that's not a terrible title either. But I think you got to lean into like the death of like false idol. That's good. Like, well, that's artsy, like yeah. the previous two titles. Exactly. I think he he's deceptively like highfalutin with his titles, and you're like, oh no, these are like very mainstream movies, just done well. Um. So I got I got um. Netflix sends the uh, their mailings out, you know, their their swag boxes, and they try to be clever about it. So my my glass onion mailer was the box. Oh, nice. Yeah, just no um no puzzle, which not to spoil things, but I probably would have taken the Janelle Monet route. <laughs> um, and it came with um a uh, a t shirt. You know the t shirts that are like this name and this name and this name and this name. Yeah that like format for the the friends for the disruptors or whatever there's a ryan johnson hat the score like the book there's an ascot and the uh the two best touches are one there's a um can of hard kombucha <laughs> um it's not but it's yeah, they crossed out hard but i love that which i also love how it, it that factors into the movie where one of the characters is getting a little bit drunk as they're trying to figure something out and it's just like real good copy there and um a note from Ryan Johnson saying um, it was out of our price range and unethical to fly, fly you to a private island. So you'll accept this instead and be happy about it. That's funny. Well, yeah, I, I love a little disappointed. There's no hot sauce. Yeah, that was that was a misfire. But I don't know. There's always one thing missing from these things. I will say the the A24 box did two things really, really well. 
One, they gave us a little more sell the shell. Pretty obvious, right? You got to have a little one to like put on your on your desk somewhere. Of course. Um, and for the whale, they sent a copy of Moby Dick. Sure. And I, I thought that was phenomenally classy compared to like what you could do. Whereas for bodies, 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 they sent how to make a hurricane mix, like hurricane mix and a bottle of rum. Oh, sure. <laughs> they really cut straight to it. Um, so that's going to, it's going to do it for us until next week when Steve returns and we take your questions. Um, we will see you at the, uh, award season movies. Bye. Y'all. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and to visit awardsradar.com for the best in awards and entertainment content. <laughs>